Hello and welcome to episode 200 of The Dive Down. 200? 200. 200 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast all about 200 magic cards for the casual spike. Well, don't spoil it right off the top. That's what it is, Dave. They saw it in the title. I guess that's true. Before they downloaded, before they decided if they wanted to participate in this festival. History in the making. My name is Stanislav, here in Atlanta, and with me on the couch is Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, welcome to 200 episodes. I don't know how we pulled this off, 200, but we did. And yeah, like you said, we are in Atlanta. We're in Greg's basement studio. It's a lovely place. We're talking into much higher quality microphones than usual. And we can see each other's faces and eyes. The, the delight is unbelievable. It's always so awkward to like actually be face to face. It's like, why can't I just be looking at a screen again? It's like, do I maintain eye contact with Dave as I'm talking to him? Truly, I've felt that way all weekend here at DreamHack, <laughs> talking with people that I normally interact with on Twitter instead of uh, and seeing them in person, everybody realizing once again how short I am in real life. <laughs> yes, let me introduce the Godfather. Also with us in Atlanta, it's Dave Harbarger. Yeah, I'm here. We did it. We've been sleeping well. We've been playing magic kind of well. We did a weird excursion yesterday where we played a sealed 10K. Yes. But it was fun for the first couple rounds. <laughs> friends don't let friends peer pressure one another into playing sealed 10Ks. See, I just didn't. I just walked around. I enjoy DreamHack actually a lot. We should briefly talk perhaps about DreamHack, since it's the first time that a Magic event, second time, the first time the RC is at DreamHack. Yes, Shane, tell us all about DreamHack. Tell us about the cosplayers you've met. I, I didn't meet any cosplayers, but I thought, well, that was actually a cool part. A lot of high-end cosplayers. A lot of people, there's a front and center, honestly, there is a, like a sewing display of people making like costumes and whatnot uh, right there, like doing cosplay development, they really focused on the, the craft of everything, which is pretty cool. There's a lot of uh, other games being played around, which I thought was like a really good part. Yeah, there was some StarCraft tournaments happening yesterday, and they were creating the loudest yes. noise in the hall. Just people losing their minds over Zergs. Zergs Zer and Bergs. Zerg rushes, I think is what the technical term is. Is that what they're called? Yeah. I'm a Protoss main myself. Mm -hmm. But there's you know fighting game tournaments. There's banks of CRTs for people to play like GameCube era Smash Bros and things like that. Like it's, it's, there's just so much going on and it brought a lot of life to the rest of the environment. So like if you were in between rounds or you weren't participating, there was always something to go do and see and observe. And I was a little worried in advance that Magic would be sort of like the redheaded stepchild of this event, but the Magic portion is very lively and busy and it's lit differently so that people can see their cards. That's the funniest part to me was walking in <laughs> into DreamHack and it's like smoke machines and huge screens and StarCraft and laser beams and cosplayers. And then you get over to the Magic area and it's still... You know, yeah, it's, it's it's fluorescent lights and it it's 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 still a magic event, which is nice. The biggest thing for me was just it was nice to walk around in between rounds and have something else to yes. to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, so overall, I've been really happy and impressed with DreamHack and the tournaments around like any other magic tournament I've been at, which means a little bit longer between rounds than you really want to. But that's every big tournament you're at. So that's DreamHack. Let's talk about this week's episode. 
It's episode 200. Those of you who've been listening for the last 100 episodes at least probably remember episode 100, we focused on 100 decks. This time, we had to up the ante somehow. So we're going to cover 200 cards, typically from a modern focus. Only from a modern focus, really. I mean, we're going to talk about sort of the definitive 200 cards in modern across its history. According to us. According to us. Next year is going to be my favorite 300 keywords. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them come from AFR. And most of them are kicker variants. Yeah, exactly. Kicker variants, one, two, three, four. So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to publish this list anywhere. You're just going to enjoy it. We don't want you to nitpick it, but you know you're going to tweet at us if we missed anything. So go ahead, fire up your tweet bots. Before all that, let's housekeep. We're just going to talk about how to support the show for the next 100 episodes. The easiest way to do that is on Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. And thank you so much to the patron supporters who made this Atlanta trip possible for the dive down. That's right. And also thanks to the ones that came to hang out with us. Aaron, Grants, Josh, Cora. Andy, Cora. It's great to see you all. Are we forgetting anyone? And I hope we're not forgetting someone. But yeah. And it's always great to see so many you know friends of the pod, so many people who uh, came up to us and said they enjoyed the pod, or we just sat across from them and they were like, are you Stanislav from the dive down? They didn't say that to me. They said that to Stanislav. And I always said yes. <laughs> yeah, you're not hiding yourself anymore. Not anymore. Let your light shine. Don't put a basket over your light. You can also support us through Mana Traders. Yep, ManaTraders.com, our sponsor for the last easily 175 episodes, if not more. ManaTraders.com, the best place to rent Magic Online cards if you use code the Dive Down 15 We got to change that code. We're going to change it soon. You will be able to get 10% off of your first two months of rental cards at Mana Traders. Yeah, I think there's a forced change at the end of the year anyway, so yeah. we, will, we will have a new code. So it will How be... about the Dive Down 16? <laughs> I was think? thinking more 10. Maybe we would make it accurate with what the discount is. How about the Dive Down 420? Yeah, perfect. That's your that's your personal code. If you want to support Stan personally. Or if you want to hack into my email addresses, that's, that's <laughs> what I use. You can also support us by buying merch from our new merch store. That's right. This is at thedivedown.com slash store, or just go to thedivedown.com and you'll find the store at the top navigation bar. We got hats, shirts, fanny packs, sweatshirts, yep. and there's going to be more to come. We have so many design ideas. That's all we've been doing at the bars of Atlanta <laughs> every night is thinking of new pithy sayings to put on t-shirts. That's right. If you want to support us and you don't like to use Patreon, this is a great way to do it. Go check out thedivedown.com slash store. Yeah, celebrate 200 episodes with us by purchasing things from our store. <laughs> we had to roll it out in time for 200. And then, of course, support yourself with a discount on physical Magic the Gathering cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with promo code DIVE8. Get 8% off any order of magic cards. I've been using the Dive 8 promo code, guys. And oh, it's awesome. It works. Perfect. Norm will be so pleased. It works. So, should we dive into it? Should we dive into the dive into 200 cards? Anybody have anything to say? Any famous last words? Okay, let's talk a little bit about how we're going to approach this. Okay. We're. I think we... we Unscientifically. Know- <laughs> yes. Unscientifically, this is a subjective list we know we're going to miss some things. These are not the 200 best cards of all time. There's 200 very, very important cards to modern history. You guys ever see that movie High Fidelity? Oh, you know High sure. Fidelity? Remember when he reorganizes his record collection <laughs> yes. autobiographically? Yes. That's what this is. This is us reorganizing <laughs> modern autobiographically. So we have categories that will make sense once we get into them. We're kind of approaching things in a you know somewhat random order of category. There's going to be some things that we don't get into super deeply because it's 200 cards. So bear with us. 
Uh, you're on this ride with us, and we appreciate you having been on this ride for 199 episodes before. Yeah. So if we're going to start, yeah. what what is the first thing that you think defines modern as a format when it comes to Magic the Gathering cards? Probably the Fetchlands. I was going to try to say something funny, but instead I just went straight for the facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say supplementary products. <laughs> Supplementary. Thanks. It's MH. We're here to finally decide that it's MH2 block constructed is what this is. No. Yes. It's the lands. It's not just the fetch lands. Yeah. I was going to say overall, just the mana bases of modern, which are, you know, in historically for a long time, have just been like the fetch lands and the shocks, especially with cons. When it, I mean, I did not experience this change because I started playing in cons, but I know that it added all of the old onslaught fetch lands into the format as well. So it went from a five fetch land format to a ten fetch land format, and then of course we had all the shocks from Ravnica, and that was just kind of the foundation of allowing good mana in modern. Did you, Dave, play with the five fetch format? I did. What was that like? I mean, it, it was just slightly more difficult to do have solid mana bases in allied colors but it wasn't really that hard i mean that this is was an era where you know jeskai would be what people were playing in control so you would have your scalding tarns and your arid maces still you just wouldn't have um flood of strand Strand, right and so it it, functionally it doesn't make that big of a difference i think it i mean i think it does for decks that don't want to get quite as tricky and don't want to splash into three colors as much but yeah, it was definitely a defining moment, and especially when you were kind of wanting to do things that only wanted to get mountains. Mm-hmm. For example, if you just wanted to fill your fill your deck with fetch lands that got mountains, it was harder to do because there was only two of them. Yeah, and in this current era, we would be amiss not to mention the triumphs. Yes, as a new defining characteristic of the format in creating these three plus soupy color combinations possible. Yeah, and 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 sort of effortless. Yeah. And then, of course, with the addition of powerful domain cards, especially powerful domain removal, like Leyline Binding is just such a strong incentive to push into four and five color mana bases that the the existence of the Triumphs is really what allows that in a somewhat straightforward fashion. And so, like, it's they these kind of concepts exist synergistically in our eternal formats where we have fetch lands, Triumphs, and then things that are taking advantage of that in serious ways. Now, before we depart from this land section, can we go on the record? Triomes, yay or nay? I mean, I think they were kind of a bad thing, honestly. At this point, I think it's, I mean, it is what it is. They they yeah. decided they wanted to make them for formats. They're really important to Pioneer and certainly fun for Standard when those, those formats exist. But uh, I think overall, it's made a bit more soupiness out of the format. Shane, what do you think? I mean, you've had, you've heard my take on triumphs. Like, yeah, I agree. I think overall, it's like you can't put the genie back in the bottle, but you know, you can hang out with the genie once he's here, type yeah. thing. Uh, importantly, also, I want you to know we're not cheating, and these are not thirty cards or twenty-five cards. 30, yeah, it's 30. thirty now. Yeah, these are uh, these are one, two, three. Yeah, so dude. we've got uh, one hundred ninety-seven to go. So yeah. we probably should. Well, I do want to say one thing. We didn't really touch on the other stuff that fetch lands do that really make warp the format in a lot of ways thin your deck they thin your yeah perfect (laughs) deck thinning uh (laughs) see my see my reddit post on that um yeah they let you manipulate your deck they let you shuffle kind of whenever you want to they can be abused with things like renin six revolt triggers they make death shadows bigger sometimes at instant speed right so the fetch lands really are 
probably the defining for thing of the format itself. You know, they fuel graveyard effects like Delve. Yeah, and Delirium. Yeah. They create lots of discourse within the Storm community on whether or not you should play them to make your Serum Visions better or not. <laughs> right. The Storm community. Who's left in the Storm community? Last person out of the Storm community, turn the lights out, please. All right. That's the foundation of, of Modern. Yeah. These, these three iconic land types... Let's just dive right into the worst parts of modern in a little section we like to call I'm living in a living nightmare. And we have to start with the card that makes all these other lands a lot worse. And that's Blood Moon. Blood Moon. Blood Moon. One of my favorite cards. It is one of your favorite cards. It's one of my accepted cards. <laughs> and Shane never plays Blood Moon. Really. No, I mean, I like I love Blood Moon. Okay. I, like, I mean, like I, I'm a big fan of Blood Moon. It's one of those cards where it's like. It's perfectly balanced in a lot of ways because, like, sometimes it's a pain in the butt to use, and sometimes they can play around it, and sometimes they it, it's not useful at all. Sometimes you draw it too late, and you want to get it out of your hand. I think it's an overall good effect and like a good check on modern. And honestly, I think feel like it's underutilized because of all the reasons I said earlier, where it's like not always great. Yeah, it's an important valve on the format, though, right? And interestingly, it's one of those cards that always feels like an anomaly because it's one of the cards that was voted into 8th edition and so by default it turned out that it was in modern because that's where they drew the line for modern i sort of think that they would have reprinted it into a form into a set to make sure it ended up in modern eventually because of how critical it is yeah. to keeping things in line yeah well we'll never know right because it's always been there yeah i mean it, i always sort of was annoyed with this card because i uh, i remember playing against this card when it was in the dark and when I had dual lands as what I was playing with, and guess what? It makes your dual lands mountains too, and that's no fun. Here's to finally figuring out how to not Blood Moon myself out of games <laughs> between now and episode 300. Yeah. All right, up next on this list, we have Chalice of the Void, powerful both in Eldrazi Tron, control decks. It's just very, it's very a good, useful check against things like Cascade. You know, Chalice of the Void has been one of those cards that's just been around since the entire time I've been playing Modern. It's always going to be useful because nothing else does anything like it does. Yeah. Chalice of the Void is the reason why I will never sell my Shattering Sprees. Because mm -hmm. they'll always just come in handy to put copies on the stack to get rid of that thing. Yeah. And then two other cards that are similarly annoying in this I'm living in a living nightmare which is basically prison components is what we put for this. Ensnaring Bridge and Lantern of Insight. You know, you see Ensnaring Bridge in different places. Sometimes somebody gets wild and puts it in a burn sideboard or something like that. Well, that kind of stuff doesn't really happen anymore. It gets in your kind of Karn decks to be able to keep you from getting attacked. But really, it goes hand in hand with other lock pieces like Blood Moon, Chalice of the Void to make really annoying games where you can't do anything. Yeah, and you notice like all the stuff on this list are very specialized tech pieces that no other card does really anything like them. I mean, I guess you could say like what Ghostly Prison is kind of an Ensnaring Bridge effect, but Ensnaring Bridge, these are all artifacts besides Blood Moon. You know, we know that we'll talk more about artifacts later, but that's one of the things I really like about modern and magic in general is that every deck can get access to certain type of effects and we'll talk about that as we go through the rest of this what 195 193 left let's not keep count yes <laughs> i should we should just have a count on the on the right side for our own use right. how, many, how many we have left let's just touch on briefly this last living nightmare card it's lantern of insight and anecdotally my very first event that i played in atlanta a modern 
side event, three rounds, my first opponent was on lantern control. Really? Yeah. I, I don't remember you telling us that. Screaming from the past. Well, they had Urza Saga, so they had at least one new card. Right. And I got lucky that I just always drew like brazen borrowers and postboard. I drew my force of vigors so that I was never too concerned with their lock pieces. Usually it was ensnaring bridges, which were played main. Yeah. But maybe this deck will come back one day. It's always a chance and it's always a chance to be horrible. <laughs> Up next, we have the creatively named stuff that's in burn category. And so, yeah, it's, it's not everything that's in burn. These are the key cards that are in burn. But why would we talk about burn next? Here's what I think. This is like the deck that's been around in modern the longest, probably of any of the things that you look at. That's still somewhat competitively viable, depending on how much Shane's going to go off right now. No, Dave, how how was Burn before Eidolon and Swift Spear? I think it existed. Yeah, still. I'm, not try, I'm not trying to check your work. I'm just like, what do you no, remember? I I remember that it was a viable deck that was around still. Certainly, Goblin Guide helped it. Um, that's when I really started to pay attention. Well, modern Goblin Guide came out before modern existed. So I think that it was one of the early decks that was still around just because of the power lightning bolt, lava spike, Goblin Guide. You know, 2011, those cards were all there. Lightning Helix has been around. Lightning Helix was in it. Lava well, Spike's pretty old, right? Lava Spike's from Kamigawa. So it was it was in it. Yeah. So there, there was a foundation of a red burn deck. It played different things. You know, we were joking this morning about Shard Volley being on this list, which it's not. The cards that we have on this list are Searing Blaze, Goblin Guide, Eidolon of the Great Revel, Lightning Helix, and Lava Spike. Yeah. And no Lightning Bolt. That's just kind of everywhere. <laughs> That's elsewhere on the list. Oh, yes. yes. So. I mean, I'm going to stop saying no other card does what these cards do because that's kind of why it's on this list in the first place or no other card does it as well as it does. But Searing Blaze is like a really important component to burn just simply because of like, you know, it's a two for one in a burn deck, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't get a lot of things like that. And Goblin, Goblin Guide is still like, it's amazing to me that Goblin Guide is still so playable for how old it is just like a two two with for haste with like minor downside i feel like a lot of times it's just barely hanging on yeah it's like the card that is the m most likely to be replaced next i feel like in burn is that card because it's just so ofy well they keep <laughs> printing new goblin guides and none of them are good enough they're not as good as this one yeah. i mean you know the, the one that made you put lands back in your hand is just like nah, i don't know yeah, wayward gonna, guide beast yeah we're never gonna wayward this guide beast but these cards are all definitive. You know what's happening when you sit down against Burn. You're likely to, to play against these cards. Eidolon of the Great Revel, like you said, Shane, gave this deck a huge boost as well as just a kind of pyrostatic pillar effect. Different kind of, different card. But something that would give you passive damage that would add up yeah. and would punish your opponents for getting rid of your threats is what it is. Lightning Helix, not just a burn card. We've seen it in, you know, dress guy control decks, all kind of matter of decks, but Lightning Helix is just, you know, it's it's another just efficient and useful spell, uh, a foundation of many a modern deck or component of many a modern deck for years. And Lava Spike, the most boring, the most straightforward card, three to the dome as a sorcery for one red mana. You can't replace it in this deck, so you've got to use it, and we've got to talk about it. But we don't have to talk about it for very long. I think the next thing we should look at that's definitive of modern, honestly, as a foundation of the format. Yeah. Cheap removal. Yes. One mana efficient removal is something that you're always striving for in modern 
And there's a pretty good suite of them these days. Over the years, that's been definitive of what modern is, though. And on the heels of the burn section, a good place to start is Lightning Bolt. Mm -hmm. To date, I believe still the most popular card in the format. And it always ebbs and flows, but that's just kind of this consistent truth that if nothing else, Lightning Bolt will almost always be the most played. And in, in, in some ways, I think it's one of the things that really draws me to the format is the emotional connection between this me and this card in particular that I think a lot of people share. Yeah, for sure. This has been my favorite card, magic card for forever. And, and why do you think that is? Like for me, it's just like the simple elegance of it encapsulating the visceral imagery of of magical duels between battling wizards, right? Yeah. Like yeah. just shooting lightning bolts at one another. Yeah, it's like what the the theme of the game is really expressed just in this one card. I mean, you you are lightning bolt guys. I'm a healing salve guy. So, <laughs> well, really, I'm an ancestral recall guy, but we we can't <laughs> even talk about that one been chasing that that dragon for 20 years so while lightning bolt really helped define sort of the nature of cheap removal in the format for a really long portion of modern's history the introduction of this next card i think sort of redefined what it means to be not only a good removal spell but even certain playable creatures and that was fatal push yeah yeah that was hugely redefining yeah it was an interesting thing right because it was it was an era when tarmogoyf was still dominant when that card came out and this was one of the first cards in a while that could just deal with it for one mana, not, uh, and wasn't Path to Exile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you tried dealing with a Goyf with a Lightning Bolt, sometimes you'd say, <laughs> oh no, what have I done? Yeah. It better be a one-two yeah. when you did it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's really hard to go back and think about the landscape that changed because of Fatal Push, because I feel like it wasn't immediate. I mean, Fatal Push, of course, was... This is a great card. I'm going to get four copies. It's $15 uncommon uh, and things like that. And then I feel like slowly, like what you were saying, Stan, it's just like, oh, now my Tarmogoyfs stink a lot more. And they're slowly just being, continue to be pushed more and more out, not only for their creature power level. I mean, they were a $100 card or $75 yeah. card at the time. And now you can buy a Tarmogoyf for $15, I Yeesh, think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to over. And that's all because of Fatal Push. Well, <laughs> and overprinting and other things too. Yeah. I mean, Fatal Push is just such a cool card because of the fact that like you have to enable the really powerful mode, but because it's modern, it's not always really that necessary in the first place. And so when we see right now, Fatal Push isn't even that widely played. That's mostly because black isn't that widely played and yes. there are less targets for it right now. Or the ledger shredder has made a huge kind of ability for that to come back to, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's good. It's great to have an effect like Fatal Push around. Yeah, I will say one of the most interesting things to me about Fatal Push is that it came out around the same time that people realized Death Shadow was a deck. And in some ways, Fatal Push kind of powered Death Shadow. But on the other hand, Death Shadow was one of the best targets for Fatal Push, mm-hmm. as it turned out. So it was this weird kind of give and take in that whole era. Let's talk about the white one in the room, and that's Path to Exile. Remember- people hate this card. Yeah, and I think because it's bad now. <laughs> Remember, It was always kind of bad, though. People just didn't want to admit that it was kind of bad. I mean, it was what you had to have. If you yes. weren't playing, if you wanted a one-mana answer to Tarmogoyf every time, that was your card. I still remember, like, the first time people started acknowledging that maybe it's not worth playing when, like, Reed Duke's like, I don't play Path to Exile on my Obzon deck. Right. It's like, it was, it was not worth it. Remember right before the pandemic, they said Pets Exile was going to be the full art promo for all of their tournaments of like 2020. Yeah. And they were beautiful. And I got a set. And then the card was never good again. 
All right, here's another one that redefined the format with its introduction, and that was Unholy Heat. Yes. Why? How? One mana goes big, and it hits Planeswalkers. Yeah, that's the big thing, is that it hits Planeswalkers for big. I mean, Lightning Bolt hits Planeswalkers, too. Yeah, but it's not as big. Right, but being able to go to six suddenly. I remember this is a card that we did not talk about during our Modern Horizons 2 spoiler episode any more than in passing. Yeah. And I was... After we immediately after we recorded the app, I I read the card again and I was like, "What have we done?" Six is absurd. It's like, absurd. Six is six is a lot. And delirium is not hard to enable in modern, as we said, because of fetch lands, because of Mishra's bobble. Well, I always feel like unholy heat is one of the reasons why Mishra's bobble is so prevalent in the format right now, too. Yeah, I mean, bobble was always good, and we'll talk about bobble in a minute, but that's um. Yes, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, Bobble was always good, but now this is like a very critical reason to put Bobble into more decks because it's a valuable, free way to put more card types in your yard for Delirium. And then the other one mana black removal spell that people played for a while was Dismember. Mm-hmm. Certainly had its moments in different decks. I, I think that, you know, still a good utility piece occasionally yeah. if you need it. I mean, super important for certain decks that are kind of less popular right now. I mean, this this ends up in Tron sometimes, yeah. right? In the sideboard, or it ends up in like a weird deck that doesn't have a way Humans, to deal with Merfolk, yeah. so all kind of stuff. Like, we'll just this number is just a good card to have around because it's just it can be in anything because uh, for XA mana. And then we have two white removal spells that have happened recently that really took Path to Exile out, but also took each other out a little bit anyway. And that's Leyline Binding and Prismatic Ending. Remember when Prismatic Ending was printed and everybody was like, "This is amazing," and it still is. Yeah, it still is. But Leyline Binding is just kind of better. Yeah, Leyline Binding just hits everything for one. Prismatic Ending asks you to put a little elbow grease in there. Well, and it's also a sorcery, and Leyline Binding is an instant, essentially. And it's a different card type, so if you're trying to delirium stuff, if these end up in your graveyard, that's a thing. It's harder, you know, so. Pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, I think Leyline Binding is still so fresh. It's amazing that it made this list so quickly. But we have seen the impact on it of it on the format and how many decks are trying to contort themselves to add it. You know, Team of Rhinos immediately becomes a five-color Rhinos deck by and large because people just want to use this powerful removal tool. Blue-white control suddenly becomes a, a pseudo five-color deck just so we could play this too and occasionally even play Ren and Six. I, mean, I haven't seen a card make people contort in such a manner so quickly. And I think partially that's a consequence of the mana that we have and people realizing that flexing their mana bases is not that bad. And now we're, of course, you know, a card we'll talk about later, spoiler, you know, things like Ren and Six being shoved in all sorts of decks. And it's just what people can do now. And a card like Leyline Binding being on this list is, we're, we have it here because, you know, we're, we know it's going to be around for a while. My hot take is that the like the really quick succession of additions of prismatic ending laneline binding and solitude in the span of like a year and a half or less now makes white in modern not the worst color yes exactly at all and for as long as laneline binding i think is going to be around like these triumphs i think are going to be a mainstay of the format as well absolutely David. Shane. It's it's almost the, the holiday season. Are you aware of that? I think I hear <laughs> off in the distance sleighs and jingle bells. What do the non Christmas holidays sound like? Like do they sound like dreidels spinning? They all sound like bells of different sizes okay. and kinds. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I like the consistency we have across all of our holidays. But 
it's episode 200, and Barrister and Man has been with us for a surprisingly long time now. They've been a, a huge asset, a huge awesome partner for us to work with, and as you all know, Dave Stanislav's not here for the ad break, but the holidays are coming up. We've got a lot of people out there who are probably like, what do I buy for myself? That's what you that's what you buy for during the yeah. holidays, right? Or my other hirsute yeah. friends. <laughs> yes. What do I get for the bearded man in my life? You go life? and hang out what? at the hirsute bar, right? Yeah, what do I get for my friend out there who really likes soaps and smelling good and you know, shaven. Uh, I guess you could even even for the non-bearded. Actually, this is probably this is probably a better store suited for the non-bearded individual. Well, I get it's all it's all <laughs> perspective. At any rate, if you go to barristerandman.com right now, you can check out their holiday gift guide and see what we affectionately like to call the classics from Barrister and Man. This is a master class in Will and Team's most popular sense, most versatile sense. Perhaps we could say, yeah, and yeah. I mean, Stan would agree. These are all ones that we've used. So you got your Seville, you got your Bay Rum, you got Lavender, and you got Waves. And waves. we've oh, talked man. about these all a million times. Shane, you're a Wavesman. Yeah, I'm a Wavesman. Love it. But yeah, I mean, if Stan was here, he'd be like, yeah, buy the lavender aftershave, balm, buy the splash, buy the soap. And there's also, of course, every beard oil and every, pretty, I think every every hand and body soap as well. So yeah, if you need to buy something for you and yours for the upcoming holidays, get head on over to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N.com. Use code THEDIVEDOWN15 for 15% off your first order. And that'll let Will know that you came through us. If you're a returning customer, just sh- send something in the comments. Just say, hey, I'm coming back from the dive down as well. That, knows, that lets them know that uh, you're keeping coming back because we keep talking about them. So head on over to Barrister and Man, and we appreciate it. All right, so we are... 30 minutes into this show. Oh yeah, we got a lot. We are 10% of the way through the cards. We also, of course, have the intro, but yeah, we got, this is a, this can be a faster section. Yes, because I think we've really talked about the stuff that's the glue of the format other than burn, right? (laughs) Like it's the mana, it's the cheap removal, it's the hate cards. Those are things that are, you're going to see all the time. Burn, we threw that in for fun. What do you want to talk about next quickly? Every counterspell. Every single (laughs) counterspell all at once. Starting with counterspell. How excited were you when this card was printed? Very much. Me too. When in beta? Alpha? (laughs) I was excited then too. But having it join Lightning Bolt as my two favorite spells were available in the format that I like to play most. We had been rumored for a long time it was going to be there. I'm glad it's playable. For a long time, people were kind of like, nobody's going to want to play two mana counter a spell. It doesn't go on every deck. It doesn't warp the format. But it's a good card and it gets to be played. And that's great. It'll just be in basically any control deck that can play it because they're not running Charless Agent. Exactly. And then how about the rest of these? Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's, it's, I think it's funny that we have stuff that used to be good and stuff that is good now. Where it's like, I'm looking at this list and we have Remand. We have Mana Leak. We have Spell Snare. We have Cryptic Command. Yeah, this is for our hearts, the Blue Mage hearts that we have. Yeah. We understand. We don't have to go in depth about these, but a lot of these cards aren't good anymore. Yeah. Although I do have two Mana Leak in the sideboard of my 
Hammer deck no. right now, surprisingly. No, didn't do that. Cryptic Command is the one that breaks my heart the most. Remand to a, a certain extent too, but I had to put Cryptic Commands in my trade binder. I unsleeved them, put them Oof. in the trade binder because I felt like the sleeves were more valuable. <laughs> Than the cardboard inside them. Exactly. What a state. I mean, Reman still does have utility in certain types of combo decks, right? I mean, I played it in Creativity yeah. before we leaned a little harder into Fire and Ice and the five-color build when it was more teamer. I was playing Reman. And I think it's defensible there and could always be a nice application for like those combo control finishers. Yeah. But let's talk about some important one-mana spells in here. Spell Pierce and Mystical Dispute super important and stubborn denial is out there not good as much anymore but still interesting i mean that, that defined a deck in my opinion it did yeah spell pierce is huge right now like i just keep seeing these murktide decks play more and more of them sometimes they're up to three yeah why because it hits ren and six yeah because it's because it's extremely good and modern yeah, it, is so mana it hit, efficient it hits so many things but i think ren and six is one of them but we can write a list of 200 cards of things that Spell Pierce tags. Yeah. I mean, this it's the new version of Infect having Spell Pierce for Liliana the Veil. It's mm -hmm. just like, you know, that's what you tagged then, and then you tag Ren and Six now. Yeah, or Living End, or yeah. or uh, Crashing Footfalls, or whatever. There's so many spell-based payoffs right now, and modern. there's not a lot of extra mana floating around in Modern. You're just figuring out how to get the most utility out of everything, and that's, that's Spell Pierce. And then, of course, we have the Modern Horizon 1 cards. we got Archmage's Charm and Force of Negation. You know, Archmage's Charm is kind of just the new Cryptic Command a little yeah. bit. You know, it's one mana cheaper. It doesn't do two modes, but it does draw two cards. It does the weird control magic thing. That's good. And then Force of Negation was a necessary and important and interesting safety valve on the format, I think. Interesting that that's become a little bit more surgical in its applications as well. You're not seeing Force so often in control decks unless they're decks that are trying to cheat on mana through Cascade, where the fact that yeah. Force is three mana, I think, is one of the best things about it. Obviously, you can cast it for free. That's pretty good, too. I'm surprised how much I actually like Force of Negation because it's just like, not only is it like a safety valve, but it's also something that feels fair even though it's free. Like, I mean, I like casting it in Rhinos, whereas I do not think I'd like casting traditional counter spell because I have to hold up mana. Who wants yeah. to pay mana for spells, Stan? Not Stan. No, not at all. But yeah, that's every counter spell. Speaking of not paying mana for spells, should we go on to the free spells of modern? I mean, that's another foundational element now. I'm going to move something in our spreadsheet in real time. Listeners going to enjoy this music. Freeish spells, yeah, and mostly led by Phyrexian mana, which was a huge mistake in some ways, but at least that's mostly cleaned up right now because the spells that are left aren't very powerful. Yes, and here you're referring to Gataxian Probe, Gutshot. That's it from that's those. It, yeah. yeah. Well, the other ones are gone. Mental misstep. <laughs> Never, never kind of was around for very long. And we just talked about Dismember. Probe was a card I never got to put in any decks. That's before my oh, entry you, into you Modern. Would have, you would have loved it. Oh, I bet I would have. It was so good. I'm sure. Prowess with Probe would have been amazing. That was something that never happened. Shane got to play it in Infect. Yeah. It's another one of those cards where you're like, why wasn't every deck running this card? It's like you get to the point where it's like, th this was one of the examples of the evolution of magic thinking to me is that people realize that having having like a really cheap spell cheating on mana just having a piece of cardboard that did something that could populate a graveyard of course we have more synergies with that now but just the fact that you had that power for nothing and then we started seeing that with stuff like mishra's bauble and even gutshot in certain types of decks and i think if Cataxian probe was legal now it would be like the most bannable card in modern and that's why we should try it out just Let's for a little it. while. 
remember once upon a time oh i love playing that card yeah so much i knew it was gonna be banned the whole time and i just tried to play it as much as i could i remember the deck that i had right before covid basically was four color shadow with oko and once upon a time and maybe six months went by in 2020 before i touched my paper cards and when i opened a box that that was still sitting there was that card legal for under a year was it that good yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was legal for four months or something, five months. Something. Unreal. Yeah. Wow, really? It was legal from October to March, I guess. It was It was banned. Look, we played that event at Pastimes. In March? In March, and it was banned shortly after that. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Sad. Sad. Good card. And then a few other cards that were free-ish and also good. And Sit- one that was banned. Yeah. Mishra's Bauble, we talked about. That's part of the glue of the format. It's used very much. Manamorphose used to be something that was used in a lot of different decks, especially in the Prowess or Phoenix era. Not a card that's around much right now, but very easily could become something that you want to use again. Look at a card like if a Third Path Iconoclast becomes something in Modern, it's possible that you're going back to being a Mana Morphs de- deck as a way to just make mana, draw extra cards, and make tokens. These cards, Manamorphose, Crypto Command, even Remand, Cards that used to be modern playable that are no longer at the par level of the format. That's the kind of stuff I'd love to see enter into Pioneer to find a new home for. Because I, they're beloved. I mean, I, I love what when you say that about Cryptic Command. I think it's okay for Cryptic Command. Manamorphose is a card that does not need to go into Why? any other format. Because it's just a it's just a piece of cardboard that says free, draw a card yeah. on it. And we just we don't need that stuff in Pioneer, I don't think. Right, but third path iconoclast will never be modern playable it might sniff pioneer and it's stuff like this i think that can help make those like fun little token generators actually applicable it's worth saying that i think that uh third path iconoclast got a challenge modern challenge top eight i think i saw that on the way in this morning yes yeah i'm going to say i do not agree with stan's take okay yeah on that one not endorsed yeah don't endorse that misha's bobble none of those cards need to be over there i didn't say bobble i I said remand and Metamorphose and cryptic. We do have two free, free-ish creatures left on this list. We have Simeon Spirit Guide, which did something eventually so obviously broken that it turned a piece of cardboard into a piece of mana. I mean, everybody knew that that was broken all the time. It was just, is it broken in a way that's okay for modern? Yeah. And I think we finally decided that it wasn't, and people are still sad about it because it made their <laughs> inter- non-interactive combo decks worse, especially Adnaz, but here we are yeah effectively killed a few archetypes like prison like red prison decks effectively really relied on simian spirit guide to have a chance to really compete uh and you know like yeah adnos neoform neoform yeah i mean and i'm fine losing these decks i'm fine losing like weird uh cascade tybalt's trickery type stuff anything that you know we we got rid of free mana for a reason makes me wonder whether Simeon Spear Guide would have seen play in the Cascade decks so that you can play Violent Outburst a turn sooner. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Very much could have. And then finally on this list, we have Street Wraith, another card in Modern that has just been in a bunch of decks because it does something that no other card does. You you pay two life, you pitch it in your graveyard, and you get a card back out of it. So it's, you know, it's been in decks that need you to lose life. It's been in decks that want to put a creature in their graveyard. It's just done a lot of weird things over the years, and it also can be cast for five and have Swamp Walk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of these cards are on my personal short list of cards that are broken and ban- potentially bannable as utility cards. When you think about why Gitaxian Pro was banned, I think there's always a chance that Mishra's Bobble could be banned for a similar reason, that Someday Manamorphose could be banned for a similar reason, and Street Wraith as well. So still still on my like watch list, even when they're not in super powerful archetypes right now. 
So Street Wrath draws a card. You know what else draws a card? Cards that say draw a card. Yeah. So in our category of look, I'm drawing cards. We have a whole bunch of Modern's Good cantrips. Not all of them blue. Yes. And not all of them good. Anymore. Yeah. Well, let's start with Opt. Right. Good. Uh, so Opt... <laughs> I mean, Opt is interesting because it's an old card that was only brought into Modern when it was printed into Ixalan. Yes. And is it good? It was So when it was printed into Modern, Is It Storm was one of the Tier 1 decks, and that was a huge upgrade for that deck. I mean, you also played it in Prowess at the time, and, and that was and the deck. Eventually got into Prowess when that became more of a consistent archetype, too. Stormwing frenemy. Thanks, yeah. Stormwing enemy. Yeah. So, Bright Dragon. Yeah. Hand in hand with that, consider. You know, those are the cards that people play now, consider. R- right, and right. And, and at... Well, I don't think Opt even sees that much play because of Consider. Right. Because Consider sort of like solved all the problems that other cantrips had. Right. It's better than Thought Scour because it gives you a little bit of agency. Yeah. Right. You're not trying to f- just bulk fill the graveyard like you were in the shadow days when you wanted to cast a Gurmag Angler. Rest in peace, Gurmag Angler, a card that did not get on our list. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's better. It fill- fills your yard for Murktide. It lets you decide what you how if you want to fill the yard or not. For Breach, too. Yeah, for Breach as well. Um, and then Serum Visions, uh, Thought Scour, those are two cards that we used to play all the time when we yes. wanted cantrips and are just, you know, there's one of them sorcery speed and the other one doesn't have enough agency over what goes in the graveyard. Sometimes putting cards in your graveyard can be good. Yeah. Yes. I still think that that's fine from a Thought Scour perspective. It's just why not have the upside of deciding what you're going to do when it comes to consider. You know, so in my mind, there are still some situations where if we only had opt, I would still be like, I really just want to play Thought Scour over opt. That would happen sometimes. But I think with Consider in the format, it's not it's not the same anymore. Yeah, Serum Visions, that's a card that should be in Pioneer. I'm going to say that a lot this it, episode. It wouldn't be played in Pioneer because they have opt and you have opt and Consider in Pioneer. I don't yeah. think it would scratch it. Yeah, that's why I just put it in. <laughs> just why to, not? Just add it. You know, and of course, all of these are just bad versions of two banned cards Ponder and Preordain, neither one of which we really got to play very much. But should I mean this is a this is a bad road on this episode, but should these cards be banned anymore? No. Okay. We're not doing that. <laughs> we're not talking about that. But they're very important to the format before we played it. Yeah. I think they're probably just too powerful for one for one mana. They do they dig too much. They let you see too many cards to be able to do it. We leave that for two mana spells like expressive iteration now. Right. And I think ponder takes too long to resolve because then you have to decide whether you want to shuffle your deck. Right. You're gonna sit there forever and decide. Yeah. But there are two other draw cards on here that are both banned <laughs> yeah. that I guess we would call draw cards. I mean, one of them is Faithless Looting, which is so much more than a cantrip, but kind of is a cantrip. Another card that took too long for everyone to realize just how good it was, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it's. It, I really like looking at these cards and kind of just thinking, like, what did people use them for when I started playing Magic? And then what did people start using them for as that made them bannable? Well, I think with Faithless Looting, the turning point was the printing of Arclight Phoenix. And prior to that, the payoffs just weren't as good as Arclight Phoenix was. Because the payoffs were lingering souls. And I mean, that deck was good. You're sort of talking about Mardu Pyromancer, which was, pre- was around before yes. before Phoenix, right? So Faithless Looting was really only used in Dredge yes. for a while. Yes, and that's, that's where true. people were really. And like reanimator decks, yeah. like broken reanimator decks that like like went off like 20% of the time. Grishol brand. But, yeah. but th- again, that was a consistency problem that Phoenix didn't have. Right. Yeah. But I mean, Dredge, I think it was a combination of Dredge 
becoming steadily more powerful and then arc late phoenix yes and then just kind of like the fact that it enabled so many things in the future like you know hollow one took a huge advantage of it which was like a moderately broken deck for a while yeah it turns out putting cards in your graveyard can be good and then the last one's arkham's astrolabe which is a card that I don't think we realized it was going to be good enough to be bannable, but a single mana to draw a card, fix your mana, and something you can blink with Yorian certainly made it some powerful glue that we all hated. You know what I just remembered? Faithless Looting had flashback. Yeah. You just remembered this? Just remember that. So easy to forget. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some things that I don't want to talk about very long, which is good because they're not that very good cards. Control stuff. Oh, do I have a take in here for you, Shane? <laughs> oh, but man. I'm going to make you wait a minute. Perfect. Love it. So at the top end of the control stuff section are the Planeswalkers. Yep. Jace the Mind Sculptor, was it good? Did it need to be banned? It needed to be pre-banned at the time. It needed to be pre-banned. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if people had come into Modern as a format and just been playing Stoneforge Jace Mirrors again, like they were just doing in Standard not too long before, it would have hurt the format at the beginning. So I guess having a pre-band was necessary for developing the format's identity yes. in the early days. I think so. Was it ever great once it was unbanned? I don't think it was ever great, but it's it's a fun tool to have around. It's a yeah. nice piece of nostalgia. Teferi Time Raveler, a card that sort of reshaped the identity of control decks in the format forever. Yeah. Yeah, wild. Wild what it does for three mana. Yeah, this, that static ability. Would that static ability be good on any other three mana spell? Like, what if it was just a three mana enchantment that had, you know, the... no. That exists. I think there's something that exists like that already. So I think the fact that it's a planeswalker that you can draw a card off of it right. and occasionally Play supreme verdict someone yeah. at instant speed is, yeah. I mean, like bouncing a token is hugely relevant. Like, you know, bouncing someone's construct, someone's rhino like, is actual value sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the five mana Teferi, which is just sort of like the best Obnixilis ever. Yes. This, this is like, if you don't deal with this, I'm just going to beat you slowly. Yeah. Plus is to draw a card. Okay, that's totally normal. And then Supreme Verdict is on this list as well. Yeah. It's a good control card. Yeah. It's the best Wrath in Modern because it can't be countered. Exactly. It is what it is. Yes. And it's the only true Wrath on this list. Yeah, well, it's tough because Wrath of God's always been like a sideboard card. Damnation's basically a sideboard card, but, but, but Supreme Verdict is the one that gets played main deck sometimes. Only sometimes now that Wraths are not very good in Modern anymore. Mm -hmm. We have one creature on this list, and that's Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. Yes, yes that's, that's the card. Wow, a card that we hated playing against we wanted to be banned they dragged their feet on banning it for a bit i think it was legal for over a year yeah, or maybe it, about a year it was close yeah and although we all rejoiced when it finally bit the bullet nowadays when we became rhino boys here's my hot take wouldn't uro be fantastic in team of rhinos that's or, enough <laughs> like, of course it would that would be the best plan b after opponents countered all of your cascade spells yeah i mean uro would be great in every deck because uro is a great like one of the, one of the best creatures of the past what three four years at least maybe longer yeah, maybe less tenures all right speaking of cascade you guys uh, talk about your favorite stuff because this is a core of a deck that everybody knows yeah. cascade is something that's broken all the time or occasionally occasionally here it is yeah the addition of shardless agent just made it possible to cascade and even though most cascade decks are now only playing Shardless Sage and Violent Outburst, even though they could have always been playing Violent Outburst and Ardent Plea, the fact that Shardless Agent is a body too that is in blue green i think yes. it's also the colors yeah, yeah it's a color overlap it is that it doesn't have to target to do something and it's a and it's the color overlap well right but Ardent Plea doesn't have to target anything right true but, but what's the the Rakdos colored one that does uh, it makes things not able to block yes right 
but yeah, demonic so, dread i think it's called yeah, that's it so of course yeah stan said shardless agent violent outburst are two cascade cards what are we cascading into stanislav crashing footfalls is my personal favorite yes i crashed footfalls on friday and had a blast yeah yeah, so on Friday, the three of us played a modern side event, and we all went 2-0-1 chopping in round three. Yeah. Probably our best collective finish as a team of podcast hosts. Oh, for sure. And we're all going to go spend those 12 tickets or whatever <laughs> we have at the wonderful prize wall right after this. Yes. But we also, of course, have Living End. Yeah. Uh, another one of the mainstays of modern has gone as, you know, if you've listened to the episode with CCR, it's gone through ups and downs and has been a legitimate modern deck for quite some time. Yeah, so... Charlotte's agent, the biggest get, I think, in this pool. Yeah. Sorry to say we don't have any living end attendant creatures with it. Because they you, all do the same thing. Yeah. All you living end stands are just going to have to be okay with us acknowledging living end here. Yeah. Street, now. We, we did mention Street Wraith. Fair. Fair. And Force of Negation. Why don't we talk about something that's bad now? Ooh. Mid-range is dead. Yeah. Our, this next category is called Mid-range is dead in homage to one of our early episodes. So we're going to make Shane talk about this list. <laughs> oh, God. Shane, talk about these cards. All of these cards are bad. <laughs> They're all bad. Or banned. Or one, banned. One is still probably good, but it is banned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the good one that I never got to play with. Not even in Pioneer because somehow it's not Pioneer viable, but we know why. Because of Fetchlands. Yes. Thanks, Modern. Deathrite Shaman. You're welcome. So the one mana creature Planeswalker, Deathrite Shaman. I never got to play with it. It's uh, It's... Abilities seem really good. I was watching some of this, uh, the Will Hall experience stream, and there was like an old tournament that had Death Rage Shaman. I was like, oh, that seems extremely good. Yes. It's unbelievable <laughs> what that card did at the time. Honestly, I, I was playing Modern at the time that it was around. I remember when it was banned. It's just an incredible card. It's so incredible that our friend, Way, got a top 16 or top 32 at a Grand Prix in Chicago with a burn deck splashing <laughs> dark con or splashing Deathrite Shaman to be able to do extra damage to people by getting rid of cards and gaining a little bit of life for himself. So he, like, he was basically his Grim Lava Mancer? Yeah, it was that's what he did instead of Grim Lava Mancer, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, other bad cards on this list, or other cards now that are bad. Tarmogoyf? Womp womp. <sighs> Man, it's just, this is modern in a card. Like, just, like, showing the dynamic nature of power level of price level a card that was over two hundred dollars when it was only printed in future site and now is 15 bucks uh just over the course of my entire modern playing career i think more cards should be 15 dollars than 200 dollars. i i respectfully disagree i would like all my cards be very expensive only only when i'm selling them yes but i think when i'm buying them i prefer that they be closer to 15 perfect all right let's close this out because yeah. the other cards that are on this list that we just want to say Goodbye to send off with a salute, I guess, is Dark Confidant. Shane yes. bought, sold, bought, <laughs> sold, and bought, sold so many playsets of these over the years. Are, are you still holding a bag? I have one Dark Confidant. All, All right. right. That's good. Liliana the Veil, Abrupt Decay. That card's probably not bad, but it's not getting the play that it used to be. It's still a utility card. And then Bloodbraid Elf. Yeah. Bloodbraid Elf. Remember when that was banned? <laughs> yes. Remember yes. when it was unbanned and I, nobody know, cared? It, it was. I think Bloodbraid Elf was good until Shardless Agent. Bloodbraid Elf was the card that everyone wanted to be good and then slowly realized it wasn't. But no, it's not playing Jund, it's not playing Ponza, and then MH2 kind of made yeah. Bloodbraid Elf not as relevant. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on, because there are a couple of good cards that were in Jund that are still left, although people debate about how good these are too, and those are our one-mana discard spells that are good in Modern. Thoughtseize and Inquisition of Kozilek. 
I could talk about Thoughtseize for like five minutes, but we don't have time. But yeah, Thoughtseize is just one of the most elegant and beautiful and amazing spells. Remember we did single card dive downs? Yeah. We did one that was all about Chalice of the Void. We did one that was all about surgical extraction. Maybe someday we could come back and do a deep dive into how to thought seize people. Yeah. If there was heuristics. If, yeah. If Reed Duke ever answers our emails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we did a pretty deep dive into it on our Jund episode, but still, maybe it's worth going back. Yeah. I, I think the thing about thought seize and Inquisition for that matter is that it separates the players who are just casting spells to cast them from the players who know how to make informed decisions based on the information that they collect. Right. Because you can sometimes just win a game off the back of the information collected and the sequencing you have to do from looking at an opponent's hand at the start of the game. Yeah. So think about that more often when you cast your thought seizes. Yeah. Tough to find spots for Inquisition and Kozilek these days with the pressure from all the good cards from Modern Horizons yeah. 2 and other yeah. things. I don't think we're going to see a lot of decks that have six, seven discard spells main anymore. Yeah. My parting thoughts on that is that Inquisition of Kozilek's price goes down because Burns' price goes down. And yeah. I think Inquisition is great when you want to discard cards without paying any life. By the way, I have another take on this, which is that there's a lot of cheaty stuff going on with casting costs in modern these days where it's yeah. a five mana spell that you cast for free, like an evoke elemental or leyline binding. Yes. Inquisition is a lot worse in a format that has fake mana efficiency instead of real mana efficiency. That's also true. That's also true. All right, next. Let's talk about some more cards that Shane used to love that now that I've always hated. One plus one plus one. Equals seven. Equal seven. It's time. For, it's that time. We are going to rip through yes, a these, list of these cards because there are a lot of definitive modern yes. cards in this list, but they all do one thing. They all do the same. They, they all make this deck work, and this deck has been so important for so long. And some of these cards are useful other places. So yeah. let's, let's make this the bucket. Number one is the Tron Lands. Yes, the Tron Lands. They they exist for some reason. Yeah. Another eighth edition relic. I think so. Yes, they are an eighth edition relic. Yeah. So yeah, just something that was there and. They're kind of innocuous unless you get them all in the battlefield. And then there's lots of ways to do that. So we have things like Ancient Stirrings. We have things like Expedition Map. We have Sylvan Scrying. All these ways to get lands, both Tron lands and, you know, in utility lands and other decks. Maybe something like uh, Valakit decks or Titan decks. Sometimes we have an Expedition Map, right? What are, yeah, Sure. So, Especially so, with Saga. They'll search it up. Yeah. And then what are you doing with that? We, we, I guess you are casting really big spells, like Karn Liberated. Is, is Karn Liberated good? No, not anymore. That, this, I mean, it's fine. It's the you know, it's a really big Lily. How good's Lily? So and, yeah, and we have Karn the Great Creator, which is good in lots of places. We have Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, a, a true finisher. Uh, when you know Tron versus Control, this is one of the ways that you have a chance against uh, a Control deck. I always feel like Ulamog is scarier than Karn. Oh, I agree. Because oh, yeah. the cast trigger. It's just harder to get there, though, yeah, because yeah. it takes an it takes an extra turn, and, they, yeah. you, and it takes an extra tower, and right. they don't always get there. But it is my least favorite part of playing against Tron now. It's like, I think I'm good, and then they're like, Ulamog, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. You, you can sometimes beat the first Ulamog, but the second one is usually too, too yeah. much. So that's kind of like what goes on in Green Tron. I also want to talk about, Dave, the one of the most important parts of Karn the Great Creator, which is... The now banned Microsynth Lattice. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and I was going to throw that into the Eldrazi, Eldrazi Tron bucket because yes. Green Tron didn't didn't do that. Oh, it did. Not as much, right? Did oh, it? Sure it, it, it was did. part of the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought sure. that it was mostly Eldrazi Tron. Maybe just Eldrazi Tron was more popular at the time that this was happening. But, you know, yeah, Microsynth Lattice, the banned card that some people think should not be banned. I think it should be banned because it's not fun. Yes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's anti fun. Yeah, yeah. The Karn the Great Creator, Microsynth Lattice Lock. 
And then, of course, as Dave mentioned, we we have the weird like cousin of Green Tron, which is Eldrazi Tron. So we have Eldrazi Temple, one of the cards that makes this deck, and uh, another broken Eldrazi deck that we'll talk about later work. And then, of course, we have important pieces of that deck, such as Thought Not Seer is kind of our standout card. If we had more time, we could list a number of cards that were only in Eldrazi Tron and important to it. And I guess we forgot to mention Worm Coil Engine when we talked about Green Tron. Yeah, hugely important. Yeah, a card that I think we're going to discover is no longer good either. It might it might not be. I disagree, but I and I hate that card. All right, so we've gone through 71 cards so far. We are going to take a quick break, but what we want to do is share with you some recordings that we got from friends of the pod, people that we've known about their favorite cards. Not not in modern, just their favorite cards overall. So we got some floor interviews with several people. We're going to drop them throughout the episode, but here's the first break. We're going to throw some in. All right, I am at the regional championship at DreamHack Atlanta, standing with the one and only, the venerable, aspiring Spike. Spike, Everett, tell us, what's your favorite magic card? A Jade Avenger. Jade Avenger? Yeah. From, from the limited fodder from MH2. Tell me why. It's like, it's like not bad in limited and MH2. I don't know. I mean, MH2 is like definitely my favorite magic set. That's maybe a controversial opinion, but it's brought me the most fun and the most joy. And uh, it was just, it became an inside joke in my Twitch chat, Jade Avenger, after the, the set released. It's like a cool samurai frog. The art is really cool. And uh, I would get you know the same question over and over and over again about what cards to include post MH2 as you can maybe imagine, and I would just start answering Jade Avenger if I had like answered the same question in like the last ten seconds and you know see it again. So, so I think the million dollar follow up question is: Have you ever registered it in a constructed deck that you did well or even trophied with? Uh, of course not. <laughs> it's not you know just because you like a card doesn't mean you want to play with it. I uh, I have all the uh, I have the foil, non-foil, artist proof of both the sketch and the Don sketch. I have a canvas print. I have a regular print, all signed. I love the card. I would never register it, though. You heard it here first. All right, I'm here with Brad Nelson. Brad, you've been in the game for a long time. Yeah. Shows a lot of cards that you like. Mm-hmm. But for our 200th episode, what's your favorite magic card? My favorite magic card is Knight of the White Orchid. Okay. It's, it's, it's weird, I know. But so many magic cards get better when you're on the play. Yeah. And I am a huge fan of transitional sideboards and trying to find ways to win on the draw. And Night of the White Orchid is just this perfect mix of deck building and sideboarding and strategy and breaking serve. And it's just always been one of my favorite deck building like ways to play magic. That's a good point. Yeah, because you know, so often we're like, yeah, so many cards, I mean, so many decks are just... If you're on the play, you're in an all better shape, but Night of the White, or- or- Night of the White Orchid switches that up. Yeah, I- I've done so many times where I'd splash blue so that on the draw I'm able to turn three, play Night of the White Orchid, go get a hollowed fountain, disdainful stroke my opponent's five drop, untap, play my five drop. Love it. Yeah, it's been so much fun. This is like standard like 15 years ago. Magic's changed now, so I don't even know how good it would be, but it's still my favorite thing. All right, thanks, Brad. Yep. All right. I'm here with Sky, Darth Jason. We are at DreamHack Atlanta, and we're preparing for our 200th episode. We're asking people a simple question. 
What's your favorite magic card? For me, it's got to be Dragonlord Atarka. Why Dragonlord Atarka? I have some fond memories of it. I won the GP with it. And honestly, it's hard to go wrong with an 8-8 Flying Trampler that also just gets to murder everything. Perfect. 8-8 Flying Tramplers that murder things. You've heard it here. Thanks, guy. Thanks so much. Happy 200th. I'm here with fellow Magic podcaster and one of the all-time greats, Sam Black. Sam, I gotta ask, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? I've given a lot of different answers to this over time because, you know, there are a lot of different cards that I've had fun with at various times in various formats and stuff. But uh, I'm going to go back to one of my first favorite cards, uh, Corpse Dance, because I've been playing a lot of uh, Commander lately, and so I'm getting to play a format where I can play that card again. Um, and it's still just as fun as always. And what does that card do? Is that a reanimator card? Sort of. It's uh, two and a black. Um, it's, so it's Shallow Grave with buyback, if you're familiar with Shallow Grave. It's two and a black, put the top creature card from your graveyard uh, into play with haste, uh, exile it at uh, the beginning of the next end step, buyback two. But, um, you know, it doesn't have any kind of, like, unearth-type clause where the creature is definitely getting exiled. So if you, like, sacrifice the creature or it dies or something, then it goes back to your graveyard and you can get it back again. And it's a Graveyard orders, Order Matters card, um, which uh, I appreciate because since I started playing a million years ago, I've just always kept my graveyard in the right order. And so it's nice that I don't have to go out of my way to play with that card properly. All right, I am here with Piper Powell. And Piper, I'd love to ask you, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? Uh, I'd have to say right now, probably Mist Hollow Griffin. The first deck that I really fell in love with and played a lot was Legacy Food Chain. And Mist Hollow, casting Mist Hollow Griffin, exiling it with Deathrite Shaman, exiling it with Force of Will, combo with Food Chain, was some of the most fun I had at Magic when I was younger and less experienced, and it stayed with me for a while. So, so I'm, I have to show my age. I don't know what that card is. Can, do you remember the Oracle text? What is that card? It is two blue blue for a 3-3 three, three flyer that you can cast from exile. It combos with the enchantment food chain that exile, you can exile a creature you control to make X plus one mana of any color where X is its mana cost. So you make infinite mana. Sounds good. It's pretty good. It's pretty fun. You get to make an arbitrarily big walking ballista. Is, is it still playable in Legacy? Not at all. <laughs> it's a fond memory. I will, not, I, will, I will not play it again. So we spent a lot of time dithering over whether or not cards are still good. Let's move on to a next section that we like to call These Cards Are Just Good. Get over it. Yeah. Guess what the lead card in this section is. This was, this, this was Stan's brainchild because we didn't know what to do with these cards, but we knew we had to talk about them. Ren and Six. Ren and Six is just good. It's just good. Get over it. Deal next. With it. Next. Urza Saga. Sunglasses dropping down onto <laughs> Ren and Six. Urza Saga, maybe not as amazing as it used to be, but it's still just a powerhouse of an enchantment land, and it's just good. We have to get over it. Here's here's a hot take for you. Urza Saga is the only good creature land still playable in modern. I love that take, and we'll talk more about it later. You said that last night, and I was like, yeah. It's true. It's the only land that turns into a creature that we still do something with. Now, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. But, but boy, it makes big creatures sometimes. Indeed. And multiples. And does other stuff. Yep. Weird. Yep. Let's talk about the next next one on here I would throw in this is Omnath. Sure. Omnath, a card hated by many people, but 
it's just good. It's going to be good until it's gone. If that one's hard for me to get over <laughs> just because it's, it's, it's just so much text. Every turn, it does four things. Yeah, it's true. Get over it, Stan. I'll try. How about cards that are less powerful now? So those are, those are the three bangers, I think. Ren and Six, Urza Saga, and Omnath. But there's a couple of cards that are just kind of utility glue that are cards we like playing, like being played in the format right now, but they aren't as splashy. One that I really love from this list is Season Pyromancer. Yeah. Just, I remember this card being yeah. beloved among us when it was printed. I almost feel like it's underplayed now, but maybe that's just because it hasn't found like the right place. But whenever it's in a deck, it's so good for that deck. I sure like it in Scam, I'll say. Yeah. It's a nice card. I feel like this card could actually you could vote this card off the list but i think we all like it so much that it's yeah. just gonna make it yeah and how about a couple lower power cards another one that draws cards ledger shredder yes it does draw cards newest one of the newest modern cards that's good from this year you think ledger shredder has what it takes to last i think a flying tarmogoyf that draws you cards <laughs> is pretty good okay um, well, it's settled then i don't get over think, it i don't think it's gonna last forever i think the fact that you can get it out of lightning bolt range pretty quickly helps a lot the, the turn it comes down usually yes the the hard part is getting it out of unholy heat rate range so right. and, and it never goes out of fatal push range but i, I think it's going to be a good piece for a little bit as per sentinel draws cards too and that's on this list i think that card's amazing just because it's sort of the best the most appropriate for modern taxing effect that i think there is which is yeah. i need something really crushing to be able to keep my white deck uh annoying in contention yeah yeah and then finally, this is the only place we figured Monastery Sorcerer belongs. Yes. just It's just good. It's just in a lot of decks. It's in prowess decks. It's in burn decks. It's in weird, like, spell-based synergy decks. It's just, it's in a lot of places. It's a good card. Get over it. It used to be the best red one drop. It's not anymore. What's the best red one drop now? I believe it's our friend Ragavan the Nimble Pilferer. That's right. Now, we put Ragavan in a different category. Where did we put Ragavan? We put it in the tempo category, didn't we? <laughs> so welcome to the tempo stuff bucket. Yes. Who wants to argue about what tempo means? <laughs> Let's do we that do. for half an hour. Yeah. So when we define tempo once upon a time, I think we nailed it, and it's just kind of been my fallback ever since, and I'm not even going to repeat it. Oh, perfect. Wow. Go find that in our archives if you want to see t Stan's perfect definition of tempo. I, yeah, I don't know if it was even mine. But. but for now, the perfect tempo card, I think, actually is Ragavan. It's a card that did change modern. It's part of people's complaints about Modern Horizon 2. We get it. We understand. But it's a good card, and I, I, like, I really enjoy playing with it. Yeah, I think even though it's so powerful, I think Ragavan is also part of what makes modern a more interactive format now in yeah. its own way. Because it forces a response, and it goes well into decks that can cast responsive spells. I guess the, I guess we call them reactive spells. Yep. <laughs> responsive, reactive, <laughs> either cool. one's fine. There's another really good one drop on here. Mm -hmm. It's not Ragavan. Okay. It's Death Shadow. Death Shadow. And that's a great Michael Rappaport? Red just rap. Not Michael <laughs> Rappaport. We, we were watching him on Friends last night. Yeah, well, remember when famous character actor Michael Rappaport was on our show a yeah, couple exactly. times? No, Michael Rapp, known shadow scientist. When The first time he was on our show and he defined shadow as a tempo deck, I think that was a, a huge unlock for me, too, because it's perfect. Cheap threats that you protect with some interactive spells. Yeah. Sometimes you call it protect the queen, or we can call it a tempo. nice tempo strategy. Yeah, protect the death shadow. There's two more tempo threats from Modern Horizons 2 that are on this list, of course, as well. And that's Dragon's Rage Channeler and Murktide Regent. 
And those are two spells that really help define a deck along with Ragavan. I mean, Murktide is like the ultimate Delver in some ways. It's a giant creature, closes games fast. Well, I almost see it as Death Shadow and Murktide are two opposite ends of a spectrum and Ragavan and DRC are the cards that kind of make the two similar shells, but yep. with different color identities. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Team or Battle Rages in this section. Right, because it enabled Drag- uh, Death Shadow to become a tempo deck that had a tr- real ability to just flash and kill somebody. Yes. So it, it enabled that whole tempo strategy by providing a cheap way to kind of up the threat level. And at the other end of that spectrum, because t- Team of Battle Rage is a really all-in card, we have a card that's found its way in a lot of tempo-y, non-tempo decks to gain tempo. And that's... <laughs> Can you say tempo again, Dave? Sure, tempo, tempo. Fire, fire and Ice, which might be weird to be grouped with these cards, but I think when you think about what that tool is for yeah that is what it's for now stan this is one of your favorite cards of day of late yeah it's very good it's a very good card not only is the ice tempo play so good but fire just finishes so many games yeah i had an opponent yesterday who was like well if i don't block then you have to have double fire to kill me and i was like are you looking in my glasses are they reflecting back into like yeah because i had double fire and i killed him it was great it was perfect Amazing. All right. Since Fire and Ice is kind of a two for one, sometimes we had these two important cards that were just floating around on our brainstorming list that we could not figure out how to put together. So we just put them in a bucket that says these are two for ones. Two two for ones. (laughs) Two two for ones. What are these two two for ones? My personal favorite on this list and actually one of my favorite cards in modern, if not one of the all timers for me, Expressive Iteration. Yep. Who thought it was going to be this good? Todd Anderson did. Everett did. Stan kind of did. Stan kind of did. Me? You you were like, but light up the stage. I was, no, this <laughs> one. light up the stage is one mana sometimes. In prowess, I was. Yeah. But I think when you, I just, this is one of those cards that when I saw it on the spoiler list, I was like, it was like that meme of the guy that's like, I'm happy for you or sorry that that happened, but yeah. I ain't reading all that, bro. <laughs> yeah, like that's, yeah. that's what that card looked like to yeah. me. Yeah. One of the best sorceries in modern. Oh, for sure. Maybe it, the best sorcery. It's certainly the best draw spell in modern mm. no doubt mm. i don't think it's close can we talk about a card i like mm-hmm. Coligan's command yeah this is another one that's on the bubble i feel like if someone else made this list it might not be on it but it's it did so much for so long and i think it was again a card that really taught me about the value of a two for one and also just a card that has good utility yes. right like being able to review this and go okay it gets rid of an artifact i'm not going to need that that often but when i do need it i really need it you know, being able to do two damage, discard a card, like all of the modes are good on this card. I think it's cool that this can live in the sideboard or main decks and it's respectable in either. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool that they reprinted this card as Prismari Command and now half the <laughs> decks that would have run been Grixis and run Coligan's Command don't have to do that and they just play Prismari Command instead. Good cards will always be hanging around until Expressive Iteration gets banned. Next up, we have five plus one cards that are kind of the new foundation of modern mm-hmm. certainly five cards that re that changed modern for sure the, the sixth card that's here is just for yeah laughs yeah but. so what do we have we have the elementals we have subtlety fury endurance solitude and grief and then their friend along the way is ephemerate which we see in many of these uh elemental decks and so they each of these cards does something different very different and have all come into play more than I expected, where it's like, and, and less than other people expected, right? Like, grief has been a card 
that people were like, oh, this is going to have to be banned immediately. Yeah. And it's now just become a role player in the format. Not true, though. I think that for a long time it didn't have a home and then and then scam was designed. And now we have a grief deck that behaves the way that people thought a grief deck abusing grief deck was going to be played. Yeah, but I think what people were afraid of is that everyone is just going to make their deck do this. And it's going to be part of like some overpowered or just an effect that like like a Stoneforge batter skull where everyone's just like, oh, they're just going to put Stoneforge batter skull and everything. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turns out you can't quite do that no. because the reanimation spells are so bad. <laughs> yes. It turns out that playing grief with white cards is also bad and it's not the way to do it. But I do think that we now have a home where all of these cards comfortably fit. The ones that get abused the most, of course, are fury, solitude, and grief because they're proactive. Endurance and subtlety are not proactive effects, but they're still extremely powerful. Yeah, and they each do something in certain metas. Like there, this was something that people I think have complained a lot about, including myself. That oh, we have these free cards that you have to know how to play around. But I think they have eventually real like been fairly balanced. Where on the actual mana cost, they're kind of expensive. You do have to lose a card from hand. Um, and so overall they've increased the interactivity of the format. They've increased the ability to deal with certain board states. They have pushed certain decks out of the meta from time to time, but, or permanently with the case of fury perhaps, but they are an important new pillar of modern and they're not going anywhere. And so it's just kind of, you know, I'm trying to lean in. I think at most someday ephemerate could be banned even though it's not a powerful card because it any if it people feel like it enables too much of a of a strategy of abusing solitude or whatever for example not likely but we also have ephemerate in this bucket because this is the thing that made ephemerate go from a niche card and something like soul flare to soul herder soul what's soul flare that's oh that's the, the, that's, that's the one the from pioneer card, yeah. yeah okay soul herder uh to something that's in a tier one deck dave what's your favorite elemental fury stan what's your favorite elemental Fury. Shane? Fury. All right, moving on. One of my favorite cards that used to be a control card, and now it's an infect card, and I guess it's... <laughs> we don't know what it is anymore, but it was banned. the White Tarmogoyf, and that's Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. We're going to take a little break with some fun here and talk about Stoneforge and Friends, because this package is important to Modern ever since it's been unbanned, what, five years ago? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are the cards, Dave? Stoneforge Mystic. Batterskull. Best, best friend Batterskull. And then second best friend, Sword of Fire and Ice. Do you remember that golden period after Stoneforge was unbanned when we were all trying to figure out, like, what's the right sword to get? Mm. I, I actually was going to say I remember not liking this period of Modern at all because it was basically just, what is the best Stoneforge Mystic deck? And it turned out none of them. Yeah, people spent a lot of money to buy the Stoneforge packages. <laughs> <And> really, <clears throat> it's... Uh, it's more utility than it used to be. It's not, it's sort of what a deck is based around. And we'll talk about that. Stan called it, in fact, letting one of our jokes out of the barn a little too early. But <laughs> they didn't have to know that. They didn't Fired. Have to, but yeah, this is like the bygone version of this. You did see people occasionally playing blue white control with this package in it and doing okay, especially people who really were good control players. I also think it's important to note that this unbanning was important for modern because it happened in the same announcement as the faithless looting banning. Yeah. And I think it was like a critical way to keep the format very interesting during a huge upheaval. True. And I think it did to some extent. It did, but guess what? We're going to talk more about Stoneforge later. Okay. 
So Stormforge, we missed her. We got her back. This next section is called We Miss Her, We Want Her Back. Or maybe just me. Maybe just you, Depending on it. This is the Splinter Twin package. Splinter Twin, Kiki-Jiki, Mirror Breaker, and Pester Might, Deceiver, Exarch. As a single card, you're getting two cards for the value of one in that one. (laughs) Technically, Kiki is still legal and can be put in tax so is pester might i've i registered it for a large event and and really regretted that do you remember when that happened <laughs> well i was there yeah you played the same deck didn't yeah, you yeah i had shadow of doubt in my deck you had shadow down that deck that, too that, that was that tournament <laughs> what were we doing my brine board and cutthroat shadow of doubt deck i thought i broke it <laughs> how does shadow of doubt not make this list because it's never been good <laughs> yeah i remember the first time i fell for shadow just like small diversion, diversion. yeah digression here I remember the first time I fell for Shadow of Doubt, and it was when my dad still had cards, and he was like going through cards left over from his store. It was like modern 2012, maybe. And I saw somebody on Twitter talking about it. I was like, I called my dad. I was like, Dad, do you have any like bulk Ravnica rares? And he's like, Yeah. I was like, Do you have Shadow of Doubt? And he's like, I have three of them. And I was like, <laughs> Put them in an envelope and send them to me. I need them immediately. Never played them. Yeah. Probably for the best. Yeah. This is never happening. Splinter Twin's never coming back. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, I also fall in the camp that's, I don't know if it would be good enough if it came back. Who cares? It's not coming back. Don't worry about it. It's not worth the risk. Yep, not worth the risk. And it's not worth talking about any longer. Yep. What we can talk about is one of my favorite sections. I'm just going to talk about all the Shane decks. Wise from your grave. It's dredge stuff. We've got Golgari Grave Troll. Famously banned, unbanned, and banned again. A card so good they had to ban it twice. Yeah. <laughs> it is so good. It says Dredge 6. That's why it's so good. Yeah. I mean, no surprises there. Along for the ride, we have one of the spells. There's there's so many spells that made this deck happen, but I'm going, I chose Cathodic Reunion because I like the art, and it does something that just made the deck tick on turn two extremely strongly. And we already talked about Faithless Looting. Yeah, exactly. Life from the Loam, an interesting card that doesn't even see much play in contemporary dredge lists anymore. Uh, this card, of course, has wider utility than just this deck, but again, a novel effect that did something cool that made the deck move and also allowed you to finish with it. And then we also put Vengevine in this category. Not a gr- dredge card. Vengevine's so interesting to me because... Its shoulders are broad and strong from carrying so many other banned cards on its back. <laughs> it's true. It, it has shown up in a couple of banned, banned card situations with Faithless Looting, with Bridge from Below, and Bridgevine, and then Hogak ultimately, which is what Bridgevine turned into, essentially, and became the really, really broken version. Yeah, I almost wonder if Watsy just keeps it in the format so they always know, like, oh, if it's an Avengevine deck, we should probably keep an eye on it and get it out of here eventually. It's fascinating. I mean, one time we called Vengevine the the creature Arclight Phoenix. Oh, yeah. And that's basically what it is. And I think people will keep trying to find ways to break that card. The hard part now is really, it's probably not breaking the card. It's getting them into your graveyard in a way that's fast. And you still see that in, like, Oops All Spells, stuff like that. All right, that's enough rise from your grave. Let's talk about another deck that RIP'd, <laughs> kind of, although it's still around in a different way. Our and robot that, friends. That is our robot overlord's affinity. <laughs> hmm. I remember where I was when I found out Mox Opal got banned. I was in a taxi cab in London, England, about to hop on a train for Amsterdam, Netherlands. And when you got on that train, you realized you were looking at a new and better day. And I also realized that getting the BNR announcement at five o'clock is so much more productive to the day than hearing about it at 10 in the morning and then having to listen to the chatter instead of working. 
You mean being in our Discord? Yes, I do. Yeah, understood. All right. Well, Mox Opal was at lots of different places. It was in KCI. KCI, that's ultimately what led to Mox Opal being banned. But before that, well before that, it was extremely important in what was the standard best aggro deck in modern for many years. Mm-hmm. And that's Affinity. Affinity, we're talking about Arcbound Ravager. We're talking about Mem Knights and Cranial Plating, Springleaf Drum, and Ink Moth Nexus. A lot of these cards are still good and in other decks. Yes. But this is the core of the deck that actually was Shane's first deck that he bought in Modern, right? That's true. I mean, I made like a Esper Mentor thing. This was my first legitimate like tier deck. You know, the it was awesome. Like I had it half foiled. Like I had all the cheap foils that were like reasonable at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's like, we've seen these cards go other places. Like we've seen Springleaf Drum and Arkbond Ravenger and Ink Moth Nexus, Mem Knights, you know, all that kind of stuff have been elsewhere, but they really were their first home was Affinity. I can't believe Springleaf Drum is a playable card. Right? Have you ever played with it? I have, and in Soul. Okay. And I always want to take it out. And then I'm always like, I never should have done that. Yeah. This card's just too good. It's the speed. It's the speed. Cheating on mana is good. Can be good, Stan. Yeah. So Affinity turned into, my opinion, there's two decks that uh, combined into one deck, and that deck is Hammer, all right? So in a way, Hammer is the combination of three decks, really. It's a combination of Stoneforge, the combination of Infect's game plan, basically, and Affinity's good cards into a single new package that's Hammer Time. However... We want to talk about Affinity for, or talk about Infect for a minute and just acknowledge Glistener Elf and Blighted Agent as the true heroes that they were of a weird aggro deck that put pressure on decks that were trying to screw around doing anything other than killing their creatures. Exactly. Back in 2016 kind of era. So, you two, we'll see you on the flip side. But Hammer, Sigardus Aid, Mm -hmm. Pure Steel Paladin, Colossus Hammer. It's like you look at these cards, you're like, why in the universe? Do we have Sigarda's Aid and Colossus Hammer on a modern top 200 cards list? And it's because somehow this meme became everyone else's real dream. It's because cheating on mana can be good. That's yes, what it is. Yes. And Hammer nowadays has been around for years. Yeah. It's just it, a deck. It, it predates MH2. Yeah. And it's, according to Goldfish, at least for right now, it's the number two deck in the meta of modern at the moment question about how accurate that is but we've certainly seen it come back you know we thought it would die after Luris was gone and here it is here it is now dave you brought hammer i did do you love this deck now Uh, are you a hammerhead i haven't even got a chance to play it (laughs) i brought two two modern decks with me i played one modern event and then did sealed we've got chances today apparently there's on demands yeah so well we'll see how long this podcast recording goes before we have to run (laughs) off to the airplane so i do have hammer to try i have been intending to try to learn it lately maybe this is what i'll be doing over the uh upcoming holiday season here's a deck that uh dave also thought he was going to play and never did titan stuff you know, I'm just trying to pick up some of the people's decks that they like that you all refuse to play. <laughs> That's right. And become their hero because I want the attention. <laughs> I mean, we call it Titan stuff, but like importantly, and the reason we talk about these cards is they're good in other places like they're not just a single deck that's been around for a while. It's kind of a large family of decks that kind of talk about what this deck's ultimate game plan is. But they all really revolve around one card. Yeah. Primeval Titan. Yes. Right? Should we read the card? No. <laughs> we know what Primetime does. We yeah. hate what Primetime does. We're not going to play with it. 
Yeah, there's also Amulet of Vigor, of course, that makes Badlands good. Yeah, that's sort of the biggest version of Titan still and has been for many years at this point. Yeah, I mean, we have to mention Summer Bloom at this point because the deck used to be called Amulet Bloom right before Amulet Titan because Summer Bloom, just such a wildly effective spell at allowing you to play more lands on the turn and so good that it had to be banned. Before my time, but I'll take your word for it. The most recent addition to this deck was Dried of the Elysian Grove. Yeah, which enables things like Valakit, uh, which is kind of the main, that's the main reason you would play Dryad, right? Is that because it allows you to finish with Valakit so more efficiently and play more lands per turn? Yeah. Yeah, no, Dryad is scary. Like, Dryad makes Primetime the, or really Primeval Titan, the one of two must-kill spells. Like, you can't let Dryad stick around because then all of their lands become Valakit targets. Yeah, it allows you to do some fun enchantment blowouts with Dryad, but that's... It's really more for their benefit than yours when they have it on the battlefield. So we all know what Valakit does, and we hate it. Um, God, I hate. I really hate Valakit. Me too. Yeah. Why is it not legendary? Why? Why it has Why? it has many molten molten pinnacles. Yeah. Good thing. It, good thing it has that comma. <laughs> Thankfully, that comma makes it easier to actually interact with the, dry the intervening if speed. thing or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is a good place to mention Scapeshift. Yeah. Which is the other Valakit card. Sometimes, sometimes you play them together. Sometimes you don't. You know, it, it costs four mana, but you want to have more. You can't play it on turn four, Stan. <laughs> Somet- don't ever cast your scapeshift on turn four, everybody. Yeah, unless you're crazy. <laughs> unless you've had Azusa and cast Summer Bloom somehow when we weren't paying attention. Yeah, sometimes with Primeval Titan, sometimes not. Sometimes just as a straight combo control deck. Remember Field of the Dead? Yeah, there's another banned card on this list. Yeah. Field of the Dead. Titan kind of got Field of the Dead banned, although Uro Control also kind of got yeah. Field of the Dead banned. Field of the Dead is just a bannable card. Yeah, no, that was a good call. Yeah, for sure. Another card I hated. This is just filled with cards that when I look deep inside my heart, I hate all these cards. I hate Dryad, too. We talked about Dryad. I hate it. I hate Summoner's Pact, one of the last cards on this list we have not yet mentioned that just supports Primeval Titan decks because yep. you you have the mana to pay for the pact. Let's talk about some cute non-threatening creature decks after this, <laughs> after the giant, you know, menacing Jolly Green Giant. All right, so we're talking about tribal decks. Right, and you can't mention tribal decks without mentioning Aether Vile. Yeah, I mean, that's the key to all... Any tribal deck that was good and modern just has to play Aether Vile, basically. Now, is Aether Vile the fixed Black Lotus? Excuse me? What? Because it cheats on mana, sometimes as much as three mana. I mean, it's very fixed then because no one's really playing it. Yeah, I would say no. It's not in that lineage to me. I I, I was just asking the questions. <laughs> I'm just posing the questions. Perfect. Yeah, but Aether Vile used to be when tribal decks did not have to deal with Fury, They that was the way that they really made things happen. Like, you wanted to see an Aether Vile on turn one. It allowed you to accelerate into flooding the board. And now it's not super playable, which is kind of stinky, but... You know, it had its time in the sun. Now let's talk about every merfolk <laughs> with a little section we call Lord of Atlantis. Yeah. Yes, every merfolk. Yep. Sorry, this stands in for all merfolk. We acknowledge you, merfolk deck. You were there. You were here. You've been here for a long time. Oops, all Lord of Atlantis. <laughs> but we are acknowledging two humans, and I think there's a good reason. I think Champion of the Parish is basically humans.deck here. And that's definitely, uh, it had its time in the sun for maybe two years as one of the best decks in modern. Yeah. And then we have Meddling Mage, which of course is in humans, but we have seen it just be such a powerful utility spell that it can be run sideboard in Azorius-based decks. And it's just something that has 
uh, an effect that nothing else does. Congratulations, Chris Pakula, for being on a card that is never going to be replicated. It's still good yes. all these years later. It's he's playing hammer sideboards. Exactly. Yep. Hammer. Depending, yeah, hammer, depending on what you're doing. The newest addition to this tribal family is Conspicuous Snoop. And I think it's the best one right C- now. Currently. I love, I, I love goblins. I've had a lot of fun playing that deck for the show. Snoop is a really powerful card. Makes Vile good, you know, You can having a combo capability in one of these decks pushes it over the edge for me. It's a cool card. It was amazing that as soon as Snoop got printed, it actually introduced a brand new deck that has kind of ebbed and flowed, but keeps coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that supports tribal decks a lot of times, and other kinds of decks, creature decks, mana dorks. So we have our dork section is next again this is not as full as it could be but i think it hits the highest points of the format for at least my memory yeah and those three cards would be noble hierarch birds of paradise utopia sprawl the utopia sprawl is not a dork dave but it is isn't it stan <laughs> i would call it that yes yeah i mean we could very easily have something like devoted druid in place of utopia sprawl but why because utopia sprawl has been in many more decks than yeah. just like devoted druid combo yeah Notice we did not put Abundant Growth anywhere on here. What, what is that one? The four-color one? That's not a dork. I, th- I think that that's is just Abundant Growth. Yeah. 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 I, and I guess we didn't have Llanowar Elves on here, but that's because Noble Hierarch is the good Llanowar Elf. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And even Ignoble Hierarch is the, the good yeah. Llanowar Elf, even though it sees less play. Yeah, Noble Hierarch is just, it's not as good as it used to be, but you know, when I started playing Modern, it was like, what, a $50 card? Oh, yeah. That so desperately expensive. needed to reprint? Yeah. We probably should have put Ignoble in here because it sees more play now than Noble, thanks to Yawgmoth. True. Let's just argue about it for a while. Good idea. On mic. We're just both going to talk about it, and that's going to be a bonus card for the listeners. Bonus card, yes. I mean, it, we'll have Ig in parentheses in front of Noble. It'll be both. Yeah. A little cheat. Now, Birds of Paradise, that also sees playing Yawgmoth, right? Yeah. So it, at least it's still modern playable for now. Oh, absolutely. And has stuck around forever. Yep. In Alpha. One of the cards in Alpha and Modern as well. So that's the dorks. Dorks are important, but they are a very like narrow part of the community, the modern community of cards, that is. So we've talked about tribal decks. We've talked about mana dorks now. What are people doing with mana dorks these days? I'd say a lot of times when you're playing mana dorks, you're also doing creature combo shenanigans. Yes. And that's highlighted by a number of searching cards or payoff cards or protection cards Collected Company is the number one among those, I would think, right now, as far as something that, you know, warms my heart, although that's less powerful and modern than it used to be a little bit. For sure. It has time in the sun. I think, you know, many of these cards at certain points in time have been more powerful. Like, we have cards like Walking Ballista, which at certain points in time, it's just the infinite mana payoff card you're looking for. Court of Calling, another card with infinite mana can do some things. I mean, Court of Calling and Eldritch Evolution are mainstays in Yawgmoth right now. Speaking yeah. of Ignoble Hierarch, speaking of Birds of Paradise. And more playable than Collected Company today. Right now, which is interesting because, you know, those cards were coexisted for a long time and Collected Company was still the preferred choice for a minute. Yes. You know, through like Devoted Druid and stuff like that. But then we got, you know, another card that's not on the list, Finale of Devastation, that does some work as well as far as tutoring up something sure. that you want to have happen. Court of Calling, similar. Eldritch Evolution, similar. And a card we have on here... That if we argued about it for a while, we could probably get rid of, but it's Giver of Runes, a card that protects a lot of creature combo shenanigans, a card that could be in the uh, Infect slash uh, Hammer portion if we really wanted to, and end up here simply because it really supports a lot of the broken creature stuff you're trying to do, because it makes your opponent have to have two removal spells to get rid of it. 
All right, this next section is one that's very near and dear to my heart and really my development as a modern player, especially in the early days of the format for me. Mm-hmm. And that's spells cards. <laughs> spells cards. It's really, is it spells cards? Right. And it starts with Arclight Phoenix, yep. which was the first truly good deck that I played in modern that I was also like not bad at. This is also the card that sort of launched this podcast as we've talked about many times. That's true. You know, like three Phoenixes coming out of the graveyard, Dave, Stan, Shane. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. And you know, Arclay Phoenix was often considered a thing in the ice deck. Right. Remember that smart take? It's actually more of a thing in the ice deck. Well, I, <laughs> yes. It, it was true to an extent that the oh, deck sure. was better when there were creature decks that you wanted to upheaval with thing in the ice or kill with, with gut shot yes. and things like that to get your free spells, get value out of those free spells. It got more difficult for Phoenix when the meta moved away from that kind of stuff, but yeah. it was still good. Yeah, it got more difficult for Phoenix when they banned Faithless Looting as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember, there was that whole time period where Mono Red Phoenix was really the better right. deck. And I loved to play Mono Red Those Phoenix. Those were good times. That was fun. Yeah, it was. And we had Grape Shot in that era yeah, because we needed free spells and Phyrexian mana. So that's Gut Shot. We're talking Grape Shot so, as a storm payoff here because we have rituals in this section as well. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We talked about Gut Shot and the free spells era for for a moment. Thank you. You're welcome. Grape Shot. Grape shot. Storm payoff. Different way to go. It still does one man one damage though. It still yeah, still does one <laughs> damage, and it's actually in the n- new iteration of Storm. I guess Underworld Breach is, I suppose, the new iteration of Storm in some way, in some strange way. And strangely, it's on this list. Yeah, strangely, it's also the last card in this list. I should really cast that card like once. I've never cast an Underworld Breach because I've never played a deck that has it in there. Yeah. Yeah, you challenged me a few episodes ago to play Underworld Breach, and instead I built Hammer, even though I have this deck. So I guess it's on me to do it again. Yeah. We also have the last two slots on here are Lava Dart is one of them. One of my favorite cards. Made Prowess a thing, especially in an era where you could kill a bunch of 1-1s with it. It was fantastic. Weirdly, has dropped off quite a bit. Not as many 1-1s to kill anymore. Yeah. I guess there's Ragavan. There's Ragavan, yeah, but that's sort of it. And you have better, you don't want to waste the resources. And the prowess threats just aren't as good. They die too easily now. Yeah, that's so, the real problem. Yeah. And a final two for one, we've got Desperate Ritual and Pyretic Ritual because they do the same thing. I yep. guess one of them has Arcane, which I still need to figure out how that works. I've never done that. <laughs> never place. done it. I played Storm. I used to, I played Storm in paper a few times. I remember, I have a distinct memory of playing Storm with Shane in my basement one time where he was like, this deck is broken. Why Why does this exist? And it's like, well, it's not, it is annoying to play against, but it's really easy to beat, depending. And Storm was my first modern deck. It was the deck that got me into the format because MM17, not Modern Master 17, it was, I don't know, Modern Master Masters. 17. Yeah, yeah, it reprinted Scalding Tarns. So I bought them, built Storm, and I hated myself for it. And started a path <laughs> to us hanging out more and That's leading true. to a podcast and all those kind of things. And at least you had Scalding Tarn, Stan. The uh, most important of the fetch lands for you. My most played land. <laughs> By far. By far. Okay. So that spells spells. That was the stuff that's close to our heart. Here's a mill card as a treat. Exactly. Hi, mill players. You didn't think we'd forget about you. Here's your mill card. It's Archive Trap. That's the one that makes the top 200, in my opinion. Yeah. In all of our opinions. Yeah, and, and the only reason to play Mill is because you can play Archive Trap and your opponents have to fetch in fear exactly. of, of getting milled. Or you field of ruin them and then they have to fetch something, which is a drag as well. But Archive Trap, there it is. That's your Mill powerhouse. 
All right, so we're going to take another break here to uh, drop in some more on-the-floor interviews from DreamHack Atlanta with players that we met talking about their favorite modern or non-modern cards, just kind of whatever they were feeling. Stay with us. All right, I am here with the one and only Cedric Phillips. Cedric, I have to ask, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? Um, after a, thinking about this for a very long time, all of about 13 seconds, my answer still continues to be Figure of Destiny. Can you tell me why? Uh, it's the card I've won the most money with in this wonderful game, for starters. Second of all, uh, I actually think it's a well-designed card, given the three modes and everything you can do with it, and there's a reason that they have made other designs similar to that, like Warden of the First Tree and Evolve Sleeper, uh, because that design of a card is actually pretty elegant and fun. All right, it's Dave here on the floor at DreamHack Atlanta. I'm here with Devin O'Donnell, Doomwake. We wanted to ask you, what's your favorite card, Devin? Well, to the surprise of the listeners, uh, Doomwake Giant. <laughs> so uh, the, this was a card that was, uh, this was the second, second Pro Tour I ever played in, and we did a lot of testing, and the, re the nickname came from the card Doomwake Giant in that limited format where I opened it in back-to-back-to-back -back -back drafts, three drafts in a row, and it was a really good card in limited. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my favorite card of all time. That's what I'm named for, so. That's a great card. I remember uh, that standard format. I never played Obzon, so I hated that card so much because I was a Mardu guy. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it was great. All right, thank you so much. No worries. All right, I'm here with the current world champion, Nathan Stoyer. And Nathan, inquiring minds want to know, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? So I would say my favorite Magic card has to be Rally the Ancestors because once you resolve Rally the Ancestors, the game usually ends after a sequence of triggers and abilities and it, it really messes up the board state to a degree that I find fun, chaotic fun, I would say. Um, yeah. All right, I'm here with Skylar Warfield. And Sky, I have to ask, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? My favorite Magic the Gathering card is Liliana of the Veil because have you seen her? Oh, I've seen Lily. <laughs> yeah, she's my favorite. What, what is it about Lily that, that speaks to you? Or do you have any specific anecdotes that capture why you love her so much um when i started playing magic i was always kind of like a fair mid-range gamer like jund in modern back in the day and she um while being beautiful was just kind of the play style i really liked in modern for a while all right i'm here with one of the people who made this all possible dreamhack atlanta has been incredible william huey jensen before we go for the weekend i have to ask What's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? I think my favorite is Tradewind Rider. Um, it was basically the card... The first major competitive tournament I won was with a deck based around Tradewind Rider, so it's always had sort of a special place in my heart. And what does that card do? Okay, so it's three colorless and a blue for a 1-4 flying creature. Tap it and two other creatures you control to return target permanent to its owner's hand. Sounds good. So this next section, these cards will never be good again. We're coming in hot here. <laughs> and, and some of them hurt to admit. Yeah. These but are some great cards. Truth. Some great cards that I like casting. All right. Let's start at the top of the list. 
Everybody pick their favorite card that... Well, we're not going to start at the top of the list. Not, everybody pick their favorite card that's never going to be good again. Kitchen Finks. Kitchen Fink. That's Kitchen the card Finks. you pick from this whole list of cards that we think are never going to be good again. Yeah, that's my favorite one of them. It was a creature combo card and just a value mid-range card. I've cast it in both of those decks. It did some wild things, and now it will never be good again. It cost too much. There you go. Stan? Snapcaster Mage. I know. That's I, I let you go so you could have that. I want you to know thank that. You. Thank You're you. Thank you for welcome. that. One of my favorite cards of all time. Same. Just really pains me. And maybe we can trick ourselves into thinking that it could have an application one day because it is a two-for-one spell. It's always a spicy one of. It's, it's always a spicy also, fun of. Yeah. It's in that Jace the Mind Sculptor territory now. Right. Unfortunately. Rarified error of cards you can play as a one of. I think for me, given what Stan said, I'm going to pick Celestial Colonnade. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you've definitely killed me with those a few times. It's also a card that I acquired for like $5 a piece and then they went up to being 50 or $60 a piece at one point in time. And then they went all the way back down to where they're worthless. Been on a real financial ride with those should have, <laughs> should have sold at the top, but you know, I follow the Mangucci law of buy high and never sell. Uh, well, I have a, a funny little anecdote with celestial colonnade. I, um, you know, those stories about how like people who used to buy Papa John's pizzas with Bitcoin and they <laughs> yeah. spent like millions of dollars on a pizza in today's yeah. terms, that was me and Celestial Colonnade where like I had some Bitcoins that I needed to liquidate. So I found an LGS that took, you've got to be kidding. Are you serious? I mean, this wasn't like 15 years ago when it was one Bitcoin, but it was before I should have sold out a Bitcoin. I bought Celestial Colonnades for probably <laughs> oh, what's now like tens of thousands Seven, of several hundred dollars several, per yeah, card. No, no, yeah several hundreds yeah, yeah oh my gosh, gosh. <laughs> all right all right here's the rest of this list so get ready to fire up twitter and come at us vendillion click r.i.p vendillion click brazen borrower is better not sorry not i know you're not sorry wild in the coddle yep people Ban still trick themselves into putting this card into decks a one mana three three we still think it's banned. good I d that was banned Formally at the beginning banned. modern yeah it's not it's not good enough it should be rebanned because that's just how, how unplayably bad it is. I kind of agree with you on that. Here's a card that I've always hated that had a brief moment in Modern, but has never been good enough. That Shane insisted we include in the list. Yeah, this it is Shane's protests. card. It has to be on this list because I, Siege Rhino was so important to like a, a section of, of Modern's existence. It was important to a really bad deck that a bunch of pros would not stop playing in 2016. <laughs> I don't know about that. Siege Rhino. R.I.P. Gotta be on the list. Here's a here's a spicy one. This is spicy. Young Pyromancer. Yeah. I, never good enough <sighs> for modern again. I think. Probably. Barely good enough for Pioneer. My kind of I kind of agree with that take. I have never, like I said last week, I've never had good success mm -hmm. with with Young Pyromancer decks. But yeah, here it is, Young Pyromancer. Here's an interesting one that was just I think outmoded by better cards from MH2, and that's Scavenging Ooze. Outmoded by better cards from MH2, like in Endurance? Yeah. I think that this was also outmoded by your pick from uh, Streets of New Capenna. The Lion Sash? But no. <laughs> Unlicensed Hurst. Oh, what do you mean the Lion Sash? Yeah. Lion Sash. Yeah, yeah, Unlicensed Hurst. That is a good one, yeah. Also Fatal Push. Called it. Yeah, you did call it. Uh, Knight of the Reliquary. Yeah, former powerhouse and a number of weird decks and value decks. It, was it actually a powerhouse? Because that, if so, that's way before my time. It was a huge value card in like the 2012, 2013 era of modern, a couple years after it started. Like, this is what fair decks would try to do to make a giant threat mm, and, and the, search up lands and stuff. And then they printed Slogurk. Yeah. Yeah. Slogurk exactly. was just better. That's, and one of my favorites, Lingering Souls, a card I've cast. Uh, 
a huge number of times. This would maybe be what I should have picked over Kitchen Finks, honestly. But yeah, Lingering Souls, just it's too expensive and too slow for too little. I have two band cards on the list <laughs> here that I think will, ne- will never be good. This first one is going to drive people insane. Yeah. Perfect. I, Birthing Pod. I don't think we're ever going to get a chance to play it. I don't know if it would be that amazing either. It's in that same zone as Splinter Twin to me where I'm like, why do this? Why bring it back? Just leave it alone. Let it be dead. It is what it is. It'll never be good again because you're never going to get to play with it again. Fair. Fair. Is the safest way to put that without Without, pitchforks? Yeah, exactly. And then the second one is Punishing Fire. I also think we're never going to get to play with it again. It'll never be good again because of the fact we'll never get to play with it again. But I also think it's not powerful enough. It's, like, it's really slow, right? Yeah, it's just the really so slow. Yeah. And it would just destroy all creature decks. I get that. What creature decks are there in modern? It's like Yogmoth. Right. That's it. Right. And then finally on this list, Mopey, Boring, Leon and Arbiter. Part of Mono White Taxes. Yeah. I love that card. I thought it was really fun. It's got the worst rules interactions you can imagine, especially oh, yeah. on Magic Online. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, real, real sad times. Yeah. However, there's one more card on here oh. that we didn't mention, and that is Celestial Colonnade's evil brother. Oh yes, Raging Ravine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was making the stance last night that it was the most powerful creature land ever. It just took over games so quickly. It was so good and efficient, and in a good deck of Jund, and now it's worthless. Right, because now Jund also plays the only good creature land, which is Urza Saga. <laughs> Next section, since we just talked about cards that will never be good enough for modern again, how about some cards that we can't believe are good enough for modern right now? Okay. So what are you thinking about there? Well, one is Brazen Borrower, which we just said <laughs> yeah. had outmoded outmoded Vendillion Click, but it turns out the utility is just too good, and being able to cast a flying Flash 3-1 is good. I've just never felt bad about casting any side of Brazen Borrower. It just always does exactly what I want it to do in a given game state. I totally agree. It's just every time I read it, I'm like, I can't believe this is good enough to be here. I mean, and importantly, I don't know if this card sees a lot of play besides Cascade decks, right? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think like a lot of like blue based decks are running Borrower for value. Spicy one of in Merktide, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's just a good card that we, yeah, you, you look at it and you're like, I can't believe it's modern playable. Yet it is. And, and lest we not forget, the Vendillion Click friend used to only be a spicy one of two in a lot of control decks. Correct. It turns out that interacting with a permanent on the board is better than looking at your opponent's hand and taking one of their cards, potentially. Called it. Called it. You did call it. It's another one you called. Okay, a card on this section that I can't believe is modern playable is Shadow Spear. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's it does not seem like a modern power level card. But I think the reason that this is playable is because a card we've mentioned a few times, which is Urza Saga. Yeah. So it makes it a tutorable value one of that protects your life, allows you to make your large creatures, especially your constructs, turn into just huge game-shifting, tempo-shifting cards. But yeah, it's just a card that you can bring in against uh, aggressive decks. It's a card that just turns the tide in your favor and lets you close the door in ways that you wouldn't otherwise. One of the newest cards on our list of 200 that fits into this section, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah. One, a, car, a card so innocuous that we didn't even really mention in the spoiler apps, I don't think. Did not. And that was one of those immediately after the episode <laughs> went up, we were like, oh no, what happened? Yeah. Read it again and we're like, oh, you get a creature and a treasure token probably. And you get to discard two cards and draw two cards. And then you get this weird creature that always dies. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the lesson learned from that oversight was I at least was focused too much on the backside being just worse than Kiki Jiki and not paying enough respect to the value that chapters one and two provided. Yeah. I think that's fair. Similarly, dress down. Yeah. Dress down. Big miss. Big miss on dress down. Weird hard, card. Hard to read. Yes. Another card that was like, no, thank you, sir. Yes. <laughs> when, I, when that card was in front of me. Why would why would we care about creatures losing abilities and drawing a card and this thing sacrificing? It's just one of those things where every line of text means something again. Sometimes vanilla creatures can be good or or bad. Right. Or bad. <laughs> yeah. Or they or die or kill all of your constructs. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. All right. That's our short list of things that we can't believe our modern playable here's our long list of cards that we hope are good when we bring them in yeah for games two and three of yeah. a match this is the hope these work section let's just read them stan yeah that's i don't want to get in the weeds on any of these just they're all good sideboard cards. no we, we should probably spend 90 minutes talking about surgical <laughs> extraction we did that already i think that's episode like 21 yeah how to surgical extract all right here's the list of sideboard cards that are weird to modern but important wear tear surgical extraction Leyline of Sanctity, Leyline of the Void, Rest in Peace, Force of Vigor, Stony Silence, Pithing Needle, Relic of Progenitus, Engineered Explosives, Sanctifier and Vec, Veil of Summer, Nature's Claim, and Unlicensed Hearse. Stony Silence doesn't really see play anymore, not only because uh, Affinity is not much of a deck, but Karn just does the thing. Right. Right. But someday, if we ever need it, it's there. It's the there. other thing is that a lot of these abilities that let you abuse artifacts and our mana abilities and yes. stony silence does not stop that that's also true uh, but a lot of these cards are grave anti-graveyard hate right some of them are anti-burn hate some of them are anti-artifact hate but these are just all the cards that you need around as utility players in modern and it was a fast way for us to go through 13 cards yeah. in two minutes i mean some of the most important cards in the format or in this list things like engineered explosives which has gone for what that was one of those weird cards that was like four dollars then 25 dollars and it's like a dollar again just because of like the what the vacillations of reprints and importance of the format well, urza being not as important as what took that away too there was this one weird period before even MH1 when Engineer Explosives spiked to 50 bucks. Yeah. And I did not understand why, but I let market forces compel me to buy it at its all time high. <laughs> You're like, this with card Bitcoin? seems good. Now with Bitcoin, with dollars I probably shouldn't have spent. Yeah. Well, but anyway, we love these cards. You're going to play with them. You know them all. Moving on. Now for half an hour each. Companions. Companions. WTF. <laughs> yeah. There's only two worth talking where, about. Where's the friends? Yeah, where's the friends? <laughs> Your companions, where's the friends? Luris. Yeah. Yorian. Yeah. Has any card blown up a format like Luris has? Tybalt's Trickery. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I don't know, really. I mean, it made a huge... It's one of the m worst cards ever made. Yeah. In, in, in it's an original design, especially. Oh, like, yeah. Luris' original design warped... The entire format. The entire game. Yeah. It, it was restrict. Was it, was it banned in vintage? Banned in vintage. Because yeah. you can't restrict a card that's I mean, only going to be a one of ever anyway. It's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable that, that card, that anybody was like, yeah, that's going to be good. Get yeah. it in there. I loved playing with it. And, you know, we had, we had Everett on at the time that they switched the companion rule. And he was like, you know what? Modern with companions, the original companions was fun for the three months that it existed like that. I kind of agree with that. I'm glad that they put it to an end. I wish that they had 
gone further later to get rid of Luris earlier and get rid of Yorian earlier and potentially just get rid of the rest of the companions. You guys know how I feel about this. They're just not good cards. But these are the two that made the list because they're the most important. Yeah, I mean, Yorian, it's weird now to like to look back on the very recent banning and just be like, we all needed, we you know, we all knew Yorian should go, but like it's still like almost the same deck and yeah. almost the same format. I gotta say, I thought that that was gonna happen with Yorian. I I was big on saying that I, you know, everybody was like, four colors never gonna work with a, a non eighty card eighty yeah. card deck mana base, and I was like, come on, <laughs> yeah, like but, doubt face. But it's not that great, actually. The mana or the deck? The four color decks, I think, are less good without Yorian. They're less good, but they're still plenty playable. They're, as they are. They're playable yeah, they're control still, strategies, they're, but, but they're not necessarily even the best control strategies. I think they're still the top tier of modern, though. They're top five decks, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about some other cards that broke modern. Oh, yeah. This is a fun section. This is our Oops, We Broke Modern section going right after the Companions, which also sort of <laughs> broke modern. Number one card on this list. You know it. You love it. You maybe played it twice because this happened all over a summer when we were all at our beach houses. That's right. Hogak and Bridge from Below. Did either of you play Hogak in that period? I played it online. Yeah. For sure. I think we we tested it. Like, I think we did an episode on Hogak. We did. Right before it got banned. It was very, very soon. Because it was only around for like six weeks, right? I mean, it was... Well, it, it endured two... It endured a ban and then... Got knocked out the second band. Yes, we tried. We tried with Bridge from Below, and then it made the deck better. Yes, when it was a Crab Vine deck or something. But so I, I really liked Bridge Vine. Like I was playing Bridge Vine before all this, you, and it was yes. a good deck. Yeah. And then they printed Hogak, and I didn't see that it was going to go in that deck. But then I was like, oh my gosh, Bridge Vine is just a good, absurd deck now. Is Bridge from Below the weirdest Magic card? Like that, I think it's like the weirdest card because it's n only a card in your graveyard. Yeah. Right. Effectively, yeah. it's nothing. I mean, you can pitch it to grief <laughs> if it was to come back. That's the only other way it's a card, I guess. But but when you pitch cards to grief, it exiles. Right. No, I just mean that's the only other way you could get value out of it is to uh, use yeah. it as a pitch card. Yeah. Oh. Or, yeah, or like cycle it in your graveyard or something like that. But yeah. like, really, it's the it's such a strange card. And I'm glad it doesn't exist because then you don't have to think about it and like know how it works. But can we talk about, let's go back to Hogak really briefly, because I think it's like one of the biggest misses that most people have had. Like, I remember when we talked about it, not that we're the final answer, but I remember it was, like, be, though. It was like, <laughs> it was like, it could be a one or two of Dredge, right? right? Right. And then it ends up being the entire core of a deck and half the format that you had to like run main deck ley lines just to like fight against and eventually of course was one of the most bannable creatures of all time so bannable you guys so bannable so bannable let's talk about another couple of cards that dominated modern for a split second yeah i learned something really interesting about these couple of cards when we put them on the list treasure cruise slash dig through time dig through time highly played in modern right never wrong played, never played in modern really <laughs> because everybody just played dig through time and then when they you treasure cruise treasure cruise and then when they banned treasure cruise they also banned dig through time at the same time yeah why well because there was a three-month period or two-month period after kazatar cure came out where literally 50 percent of the modern meta was people playing uh is it delver lists with treasure cruise and there were things going on like Burn was splashing Treasure Cruise as a four of because they would just fill, fill their graveyard up and then draw three cards and reboot. Treasure Cruise 
amazing card. I said earlier, I was an ancestral recall person playing treasure cruise is one of my favorite things about pioneer. The fact that we are able to do it in that format is awesome for now, but these cards broke modern in a way that few things have in the past. And it was just via value. Really? I never got to play with treasure cruise in modern. All I hear about is the stories of Delver somehow actually being good in the format for a while due to this card. But just the fact that we get to play it in a much less powered format with grave cards that do not fill the graveyard as efficiently in Pioneer and Treasure Cruise still rules. And every time I've cast it in, in Phoenix or like a shortly lived Is It Prowess deck, it blows your mind how good it is. Here's another mind blowing card that's really good that would probably be good in a Rhino's deck Oko the Trickster. <laughs> the thirstiest magic card of all. Yeah. Is it Oko the Trickster? That's not, that's the six mana one, isn't it? Thief of Crowns? Yeah, oh, Thief of oh Crowns. I thought we were talking about the six-man one. Oh, no, sorry, Stan. You got me. We're going to talk about another trickery in a minute. But yeah, Oko, Thief of Crowns, that card. Seems good. That was a card that Shane was like, Dave, you have to buy these. And then Shane bought two for me and mailed them to me and was like, you need these. Really? Yes. That's nice of me. It was nice. It was a nice Christmas present. And then I got banned immediately (laughs) after. So I have four because I got my own two and you sent me two. You're like, you have to have four. I mean, Oko, it's... I'm so glad it's banned because it's just like, it's just the most tedious value card Yeah. in the end. And that's not the kind of magic. I mean, I understand. And I, I, if you value those kind of games, I get it, but like, it's just like not the kind of magic I want to play where I'm eking out maximum value over time. And that's what Oko did is it ground games to a halt. It removed text from creatures. It, it just invalidated so many strategies out there and it became just Oko mirrors. And it was one of the most broken cards ever that had a mechanic called food on it. <laughs> food. Food was one of the most broken mechanics what, ever. Wasn't it like plus one, make a food? Yeah, that was the text. The, the text was plus plus two. Yeah, make a plus food. Plus two, make a food. Not I make think. a food token. Make a food. Yeah, make a create a food. <laughs> wasn't it plus two? Oh, yeah, God, I think you're right. I think, it was, I think the it was plus ridiculous. one was the elk. Yeah. Yeah, plus one yeah, to the elk. Plus one to elk. And th- and then they had to get like Melissa Del Toro on stream to be like, yeah, we we really pushed this one a little too far. Sorry, guys. Sorry. We never thought people would want an elk. Yeah. Want a food and then an elk. All right, here's a card that really broke modern for a split second. Yeah, the fastest ban, I think. Yeah, one of the fastest bans ever. It was like 17 days after the card came out. Tybalt's Trickery. Tybalt's Trickery. Talk about a vacation of, in the format. Let's cascade <laughs> for the next two and a half weeks. <laughs> exactly, and that's all it was. Cascade, cascade. I actually was super busy at work when this happened, and so I had zero games of modern logged for like, two weeks because I was just doing the show talking with you guys we had just finished spoilers and then I had a bunch of work stuff and I had to do and when I came back up for error we were like oh now we're talking about a banning that's yeah. it it's gone I hope that work stuff worked out for you though I got a new job so it did <laughs> mazel tov second sunrise a card I've heard about I recently was watching on the Will Hall experience the pro tour with second sunrise okay that the other Stanislav Sifka who you are not no. By the way, not no. Stanislav. So Stanislav Sifka. And I think if he if he keeps practicing one day, he can get to my level. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Second Sunrise was just a really weird instant that allowed people to loop cards back out of their graveyard and just do infinite loops that would result in some kind of win. And it's it's one of the few cards that's like banned for pl- like play pattern reasons and not necessarily just overpowering reasons because it just stunk. It was not a, um, it wasn't like a loop you could demonstrate and win off of. You just had to do the thing and it took forever. Yeah. 
You want to talk another card that led to loops and doing the thing? Mystic and, Sanctuary. Yeah, that's the one that I wish we could have back. Yeah, we're never getting this card back. We're never getting it back. But it, it would m- make you play Cryptic Command again, though. It might, or Deprive. But imagine, imagine this end step, fetch for Mystic Sanctuary, put Crashing Footfalls on top of your deck, Violent Outburst. Why would you? Because your Footfalls is in the graveyard. Oh, because it's in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or, I mean, uh, uh, or yeah, yeah, go yeah. get Outburst and put it back on top of your graveyard. Oh, even that's better. That's the better one. That's the better one. <laughs> yeah. This seems better to me. Yeah, right, that, that seems down. better to me. Yeah. Never, I'm not going to bother writing it down because it's never going to happen. Uh, another one that led to loops, kind of like Second Sunrise, KCI. Krark Clan. There are two R's in that. Krark Clan Ironworks. Confession. I was playing Modern every week when KCI was a legal and broken deck. I was in the format going to the lgs constantly played in like scg regionals that kci won never once played against it me me too yeah I, like i don't know how how that's possible i mean i think it's possible because it was like an enthusiast deck that people like felt a little scared to play right it's just like it's very complicated it has pieces that only this deck runs i have to learn how it works i have to learn how to maximize it and so it was you know i mean a store like um dice dojo Yes, Dice Dojo. A store like Dice Dojo. You're going to have some KCI players, you think, but you know it's just that kind of deck that I think was not for everyone, but it was. It eventually became so much of a thing to enough people that it had to be banned out of the format. Was Eye of Ugin, another card on this list, one that was banned within a very short period of time? No. Very weird card. Because Eye of Ugin was actually in It was Zendikar. around for a while. It was in Zendikar. It was. And it was around for a long time. It was time. played in Tron. And it was... A- Oh, yeah, it was played in trying to search stuff up. Yes. Right. So Ivugan was there and it, kind it, of waiting to be broken because yeah. essentially it was a soul land, but there weren't that many. El- the only Eldrazi that were in the format really were huge ones or really small ones that didn't matter. Yes. And so when they, when the new set came out, when Oath of the Gatewatch came out in 2016 and it had really good ones and Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher that we talked about earlier. And the best one, Matter or Shaper. Matter, well, not Matter Shaper, the uh, the Mimic. Mimic. That's Mimic, the one yes. was the That's one that the really one went crazy. It. Because you could just play them for free. You could give them haste with a different card, and then boom, you could attack for like 20 damage on like turn two. It was crazy, or turn three, or whatever. I don't remember the combo off the top of my head anymore. But that was everybody knew that there was going to be a lot of Eldrazi in that pro tour. People were trying all kinds of different ways to make them cheaper to cast and all those kind of things. And it was that deck that happened where it's just like whoa and this one coincided of course with infamously with splinter twin being banned mm-hmm. right before mm-hmm. but yeah this broke modern and so they didn't ban the new cards they banned the old card all right so there's some cards that were so important that we named entire decks after them right the namesake cards in some cases they even introduced us to some new friends in the modern community you know what i'm talking about all right, well, no. well, let's start with Niv-Mizzet Reborn, a card that we have to thank for introducing us to Cave Dan and the Faithless Brewing crew. True, that is true. W- what Arclay Phoenix was to the dive down, Niv-Mizzet Reborn was to Faithless Brewing. You're totally right about that. Yeah, I forgot about that whole thing and the fact that I did a sleeve believe heave on one of Cave Dan's early lists and was like, I don't get it. Yeah. We're not doing this. A take so bad that better magic players had to form a hit magic podcast to school us on <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> now, to be fair, the deck got a lot better after that, once Teferi 3 came out, but... To be fair. To be fair. Yeah. Oh, no, that was all War of the Sparks, so Teferi 3, whatever. Never mind. Cool. Yeah, cool. I didn't do it. Red and 6 is what made it better. Yeah, and Astrolabe and Triumphs. Right. Yeah, there you go. I think Astrolabe was actually the card that made it better. Yeah. 
other cards that fit into this bill, Yawgmoth, Thran Physician. Mm-hmm. Urza, Lord High Artificer. That's a card that w- had a whole deck after it for a while, especially during the Oko era. Yeah, we've got Harding Scales on this list. It's no longer quite the powerhouse it once was, but I think it's always lurking, waiting, waiting to strike, doing things that involve math. Yeah. Bring to Light, which often went hand in hand with Niv-Mizzet, but also does its own thing when it comes to Scape Shift or other value plans, stuff like that. And finally, Indomitable Creativity. Yeah. A new addition to this list. A card that finally saw the price adjustment that... It's so deserved. It's so deserved. A, yeah. a, a wildly novel mythic in an under-open set. That was yeah. $5 for years. Yeah, I mean, this card was hanging around for a long... I mean, yeah, Kaladesh was, what, 2018? Maybe? Early... Tw- I think uh, Aether, this is an then, Aether I Revolt, even. so I think... Yeah, yeah. it might have been earlier. 2018 was like Ixalan. Okay, so yeah. It Probably might... 2017. Yeah. So there you go. That, that card was laying in wait for a long time until it had a good reanimation target. And then... We talked about Yawgmoth too yeah. a moment ago, but that's the one that's really creativity and Yawgmoth right now are really the class of modern as far as these namesake cards go. There's yeah. not too many other cards like that. Omnath sort of is a namesake card, but really that's four color value pile. It's not really relying on the unique things that the cards do. These are unique cards that do unique things. And Urza had its time in the sun, and I think Urza will probably be back when there's more really good valuable artifact combos to to go off in a blue Urza deck. Totally agree. All right, this a short two-card section coming up the vaguely unfair channel lands we have the two good ones here the two very good ones we have Boseju who endures and Ottawa the soaring city two staples of modern just new staples new staple lands that do things that uh, frustrate your opponent and make you feel great because it cannot be countered and they have powerful effects and they can be played as lands so who knew those would be good everybody 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 the, the other three of course are fine but these are the really good ones yeah and then we have, just building off of that, a section of cool lands we didn't know where else to put. Ostensibly, we probably should have put Cavern of Souls in with the tribal cards now that I'm thinking about it. Sure. But really, this is the best of the cool lands. It's a card that's always going to be powerful in the format for people who want to cast certain types of creature spells. It fixes your deck in so many different ways. Keeps things from getting countered. It's just a good card. It's always going to be like $70 now yeah. or whatever it is, unfortunately. And, and that's the part that breaks my heart because I'd love to own a few, but yeah. I just don't want to spend the money on it. Yeah, expensive. And then some really good utility lands. Bajukabog, Blast Zone, Dryad Arbor, all do really weird, weird, cool things that when you need them to do it, um, and they have their uses in specific archetypes that need like pl- holes plugged. Yeah, that's interesting that... that- Bajuka, Bog, and Blast Zone in particular, they're only in one deck each, mm-hmm. but they're really good in those decks and kind of always scary when when those decks find them on demand, which is what they're good at. Exactly. And then the last thing here on the cool lands area, the Horizon lands. Yes. We only had one for a long time. And now it, we have six. It, yes. And, and their stock went down a little bit in that we only see them in most cases as like, a one of maybe to a fiery islet. There's some decks that run like you know, burn runs like the full playset of like the Boros one. That's right. Yeah, and like they've, I've been monitoring them. Like they've, some of them have crept up back in price just because you know they just have such wide utility. They're just something that modern wants but didn't want as much as we thought they might. Yeah, I think now that everybody has, many people have access to them, you know, we realize that they're really best in these aggro decks where you can afford to take damage off of your lands. You can't do that in every single deck. Yeah, or or in like Murktide where you play the Islet, where you play like a long game where sometimes you just need to like cycle land for a resource. Yeah, for one card. Someday though, 
when the Rakdos one is printed, when that happens, that's going to be a big card for Shadow, basically, or decks, oh, yeah. decks built around oh, yeah, good point. Or a blue-black one. Yeah, a- allied ones. Yeah. yeah. So either one of those will, well, I think, end up in, in that shell pretty easily. Because there, you were already experimenting with uh, Peatland a little bit in that deck at different points in time. So my friends, we're reaching somehow the end of this list of 200 cards. We did it fairly efficiently. I'm impressed with us. But much like we finish off our opponents, finish off the top end of our curve, this is how we're ending this episode. With the biggest and baddest cards of modern, Archon of Cruelty, Gristlebrand, and finally Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn. Can we drop in some very epic music here? <laughs> <laughs> bom, 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 bom. Yeah, Carmina Barana. Yeah, that's the one. I mean, these are just the cards that you cheat into play. <laughs> yeah. Th- that's what these are. And they do different things. They do game-breaking combos in the case of Gristlebrand. They just clear the board in the case of Emrakul with a 15-15 flyer, or they provide massive value on a body in the case of Archon of Cruelty. But these are all cards that you are... Che- these are the cheat targets. These are the class of the cheat targets in Modern right now. You know, we're leaving out... Out, um, what's the one that's an elves? Sometimes Greater Hoof Behemoth. We're, we're leading off Behemoth. That, we're leading that, off Progenitus. There's that a- angel that used to replace Archon, and then people realized Archon is better. That angel that gives you protection yeah, from Sarah's emissary. Yeah, we're yeah. leaving Sarah's emissary off. So, but these are the the real class of the reanimation targets, and they're just the right level of epicness to end the show forever this will be the last episode of the dive down <laughs> at least until episode 200 go to our, go yeah. to our store <laughs> <laughs> all right so we're done with the list 200 episodes 200 cards name your favorite one name your favorite one favorite show i mean i think we really should you know honestly thank everyone for sticking with us for 200 episodes i'm not going to get overly emotional or in the weeds on this one but you know i can't believe we've done this yeah. I've, I've loved doing all these episodes with all you all I've loved interacting with all the listeners and just ha- building such a community around this has blown my mind. So, I mean, every time I meet someone new who's like, yeah, I love the podcast, I'm still just blown away by it. And I just can't believe that we've gotten to 200 with outgoing, you know, a little bit mental. Yeah. But it hasn't cost us our marriages yet or our homes yet or our sanity yet. That's right. So that's good. So we're, we'll keep going. Yeah. Well, that's the wives. They love the money. <laughs> yeah, the, all the podcast money yeah, the, that comes the in. Lucrative pod dollars. Yeah, yeah. All right. So before we sign off for real, we're going to drop one more break of friends of the show naming their cards here. And we'll be right back. All right. I'm here with the one and only Caleb Durward. And Caleb, I have to ask you what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? My favorite Magic the Gathering card in general? Yeah. Um, I like that Rotting Registrar card. It's a fun one. Why? Play it, drop it, turn one, murder somebody. Sweet. It's a 7-6 for three mana. What do you mean? What do you mean why? It's <laughs> pretty self-explanatory. And, and now, what formats are you playing it in? No, nothing right now. But I wish I was playing it in all of them. Yeah. It's so satisfying. You just play it and you attack three times. Well, it's, it's simple magic. It's good, honest it doesn't even have evasion, though, and it makes you discard every turn. Yeah, but, I mean, lots of things make you discard. Chrome Mox makes you bin a card. Like, who cares? And now, was it your favorite magic card as soon as you saw it? Um, no, it, t- it took me a little bit. It took me a little bit to warm up to it. The first time I played it off of a Dark Ritual, I was like, no, I love this. 
Or maybe it was the first time I put an Embercleave on it. Oh, man. And just like that, history was made. All right, we are here with Chris Casper-Rappel, host of... Good pronunciation. Yeah, I mean, I've heard your name a lot, Chris. Right. So what's your favorite magic card? Uh, it's got to be Arclight Phoenix at this point. It's Why just too just too clean, too too good in modern, too playable in Pioneer. I have uh, sixed a lot of people in turn two in history, and uh, I won't be able to do that anymore. But you know, sixing people in general is really good. Yeah. So is your second favorite card Faithless Looting then? I so Faithless Looting is too broken to be my favorite card. I think I want something like a little, like reasonable, defensible as a magic card, and I'm not sure that Faithless Looting qualifies. CCR, thanks for uh, being on yet again, and uh, good luck with the rest of your RC. All right, I'm here with the one and only Jim Davis. And Jim, I have to ask, what's your favorite match with the Gathering card? Factor Fiction. Blue Instant, three in a blue. I guess I, I gotta explain it, right? It's too old. You, you don't even have to, but tell me why. Uh, it, this is a sub game. You know, it's uh, so it, for what it does is it reveals top five cards, your opponent puts them in piles, and you get the pile that you want. Or you put it in piles, and they choose the one thing. They make so many different ones. I, don't I, th work. I think you make the piles and they choose. Opponent makes the piles, you choose which one. Right, yeah, that's right. Opponent makes the piles and you choose. You always get the card that you actually want. And then like there's like the mind games of like you. There's <laughs> the mind games of you. You play it in response to, like a spell. You're looking for a counter spell. You hit the counter spell and they put it in the small in the small pile. You already have the counter spell. Always mind games and stuff. And like it's a really fun card. You know, it's very powerful. Builds the graveyard. Fun little mind games. Card sweet. I'm here with. Fellow Magic the Gathering podcaster, Tan and Grace, I'm expecting excellent conversation and mic technique when I ask. Tannen, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? I think the pressure's on now, right? Well, I think the obvious answer and the one everybody at home would expect is mostly right, and that's Delver of Secrets. Can you tell me why? Uh, I mean, it's part of the card I owe the most money to over you know my career that I've done the most winning with as well, so it's the name of the deck that I'm most known for in Legacy as well, you know, the, the Delver deck. And I've done the most uh, like playing with at high level events with. So, like getting to play uh, Legacy on the Pro Tour is like the highlight of my career. So, absolutely love that format, love that deck. Probably my favorite card of all time. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. We should thank our incredible editor who's been with us for at this rate more than 100 episodes oh yeah I mean, it's, it's 180 i yeah, think, I think he's he been came out like around like 30 okay 30 35 yeah shout out tanner campbell a good editor makes it sound good yeah cleans and, up all the back noise and a great podcaster in his own right very successful podcast and and as we learned a couple episodes ago like a really good dj who can drop in like sick <laughs> wet true. beats true <laughs> and and today we want to thank our our engineer greg from Metal Lurk Audio Works. Yeah, here in Atlanta. Greg just waved. He's been in the room. Can you believe he sat here through this whole thing? No. To like monitor it? I thought for sure he was going to turn it on and be like, see you guys, dude. I'll be back. Get a little, let me know. Ring a bell and I'll come back. I want to walk the dog. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Greg. I liked having an engineer. I, I like recording in the studio. We, we should, we should do this every again week. sometime. Well, every week. Well, when we buy our private island, we'll bring Greg with us. I'm sure he'd be down. Dive down aisle. Yep. We focus on snorkeling, weirdly. But that does wrap up this week's show. Here's to another 200, however they may go. Whoa. If you haven't yet, surely you have by now. But if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. 
And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. In fact, if you'd like to leave a question for a future episode, you can do so over at Twitter, as long as Twitter is around. <laughs> we'll see. Twitter.com slash the dive down. We'll probably find our way over to whatever replaces Twitter in the next couple of weeks. You can also email us. That email is going to be around forever. Emails good 40 years in. We're, we're good with email. <laughs> you can find us at uh, the dive down at gmail.com if you want to send an email. Of course, if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Patreon.com slash the dive down is the way to get deck boxes. It's the way to get play mats, pins, stickers, and tokens. If you want to get other dive down swag, you can do that at thedivedown.com. Go directly to thedivedown.com slash store. Yeah, and I'm going to announce something here. We're going to share out because this is coming out after Thanksgiving. So we're going to we're going to put a coupon up for people to use on the store. Uh, watch Twitter for it. We'll launch it on Twitter to have people give people a little bit of a deal for the first couple of buys on the store. Yeah, for get, the holiday season. Yeah, get, get that family member who loves the dive down a sweet shirt, or tell that family member who doesn't know what to buy you. Yeah, to go there. Yeah, tell them right now. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. <laughs> of course, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. If you sign up for a Mana Traders account using the promo code the dive down 15 all one word you'll get 10 percent off your first two months of renting magic online cards and also get some amazing shaving soaps body soaps fragrances and more from barrister and man using the promo code the dive down 15 get 15 percent off your first order from barrister and man and you can always save some money on paper cards over at nerd rage gaming use promo code dive eight for eight percent off your order from nrg as always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and make 200 podcasts!